Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing Boz Scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me, but rather wish for help. It's like, it's like. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. Like this. Yeah. I wish, I wish. And every time we love, and it feels just like this. Like this. Yeah. It feels just like this. It feels. I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bead. I wish that I could spread my wings. Yeah. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, at least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah, I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like... I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this. Episode of the Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Dre Gray, and I know we have a lot to cover today. Lots of people had thoughts, feelings, and opinions. And I look forward to hearing them all tonight. So let's get started. Josue, you're up first. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Brianna? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. What's on your mind this evening? Um, yeah, I, I was, uh, listening to admittedly not the entire episode with, uh, the young doctor that you had on, um, mm-hmm. but the uh, YouTube, the YouTube sort of a shortened version of it. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I was just thinking in general, I, I live in Massachusetts mm-hmm. and I find it fascinating that in general, Massachusetts sort of is always under the radar. Um, Things happen in this state that really don't get kind of publicized around the country. But, um, you know, for being such a super liberal bastion um, with a Republican governor, um, I feel like the state itself really honestly did a great job, like really threading the needle with balancing you know the the sort of reopenings and the uh regulations in general um can you tell us a little bit more about what that looked like yeah so like i mean the state hasn't had a mask mandate in i don't even know how long Mm. um and that's been like extremely popular (laughs) like with everyone in the state Mm. um you know the state's Hello. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you again. Sorry. Um, yeah, the state the state voted a little over thirty percent for for Trump in twenty twenty. So I mean, it's like you know, it's a liberal bastion, but obviously there's still you know some 
uh, you know, whatever. Anyways, but in general, it's just interesting that, yeah, like closures, uh, restrictions, school restrictions. I mean, a lot of those were done with a, a, a long time ago. And I feel like the public here really kind of got it. They were like, yeah, I mean, they're very super liberal. And they were like, oh, yeah, well, you know, there's going to be some risk reopening and not having all these mask mandates, not having all these things. But I think the emphasis was on, you know, just because there's no mandate doesn't mean you can't still do it. <laughs> right. Like, I think it was sort of more on like, you're welcome to mask as much as you want. Like, God bless you. And we're just not going to put that restriction on everyone. And so I just find that very interesting that, I don't know, we, I feel like we've always just sort of not been in, in the, uh, conversation with that and a lot of other types of, of policies in general that, um, you know, uh, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. That, that was mean, just sort guess, of the top of mind. <laughs> I guess I should have, you know, set up the episode a little bit more for those who hadn't listened. Um, but I, you know, this week I spoke to Dr. Vinay Prasad, uh, who a lot of people recommended after they complained about the episode that I did with Robbie Suave, who is a libertarian and who is pretty critical of uh, vaccine and mask mandates and other kinds of um, interventions that kind of, uh, you know, went against his libertarian sensibilities and politics. And Walker Bragman, who has been a very strong advocate for more types of government interventions. And in that episode, I felt very strongly that there were interventions that should have been done that didn't, you know, impugn anybody's individual liberty or anything like that. Like, um, more of a str- uh, focus on um, getting improving air quality in schools and public spaces through ventilator investment um, and HVAC systems and providing free masks, high-quality masks to people who need it and obviously providing all of the social safety work supports that we want generally but which are especially important when people are homesick, do they have paid sick leave, um, you know, are there any kind of rental protections, those kinds of things, obviously the left has been advocating for throughout. And, you know, it's interesting to have had that perspective and to be someone who personally, you know, masks often, <laughs> especially, you know, at least in like tight, you know, public spaces and things like that, to have had the pushback that exists on the internet where talking to Dr. Prasad apparently makes me now an anti-vaxxer who's indifferent to the interests of um, <laughs> you know people with autoimmune diseases and who are vulnerable for other reasons. And, you know, it, it is, it is interesting because I don't know, it, it does really feel like a no win situation. Um, when Walker was on, I had him on because I follow him because I appreciate him flagging relevant COVID stats about how many deaths are still occurring and how there's still a crisis ongoing. And yet, it was also clear to me that some of his perspective that says, you know, we should have restaurants shutdowns and school shutdowns indefinitely does seem to be out of step with, with, with what many parents feel. Obviously there are parents who do feel that way, but the, you do at a certain point, you do at a certain point have to start having a conversation about all of the risks involved, including learning loss and all those kinds of things, especially as we get dealing with strains that are less fatal than the earlier strains. And also now that we have vaccines as a protection against the worst effects of the illness. And it is, I say, pretty frustrating to see the level of discourse that happened online or people that I consider 
to be friends um, have really leapt to kind of an extremist position, having obviously not listened to the episode as well, where I do offer some pushback to Dr. Prasad. So I really appreciate you calling in, uh, Josue, and and your perspective of what's been going on in liberal bastion of uh, Massachusetts. And I look forward to hearing what some of the rest of you have to say. Uh, All right. Sylvester, how are you doing this evening? What's on your mind? Sylvester? Co-host, can you hear me? Sylvester, are you with us? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. What's on your mind, my friend? All right, all right, my dear co-host. How's your day going? (laughs) All right, I'm a little tired, I confess. A little tight, yeah, because I felt it in the intro. It wasn't as, you know, as peppy as I'm normally hearing. Like, it's all right, y'all here. We got a lot to talk about with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There's there's a limit, you know, <laughs> guys. You know, I, I, I interviewed um, some folks for Thursday earlier today as well, and they were um, expressing, I think, perfectly legitimate uh, frustrations with some people in the left sphere. And I found myself thinking, too, you know, it's completely legitimate to criticize people when they do things wrong. And obviously everyone should, but the reality is that everyone has their limit. And at a certain right. point, a lot of folks who are doing useful stuff, even if there's a, it's a mixed bag and they do some unuseful stuff might just quit. Cause it's not worth it after <laughs> a certain period of time. <laughs> no one has to do this. Right. Um, that part. I, I'm, I'm not going to, but my goodness. Uh, it could be a lot easier than it is, but never mind. This isn't, isn't really about uh, me. How are you feeling about all of this? How am I feeling? Um, well, one, I want to say, too, that it's been, uh, you've been having some good episodes lately. I was sad I missed the Cornell West one. Sad mm-hmm. I missed that one because, you know, he gets on there. And he's just like, Sister Brianna, it's so good just to be in <laughs> communion with your sister. And then he throws out, a you know, a couple big words I got to go look up later in my thesaurus. And I'm like, this brother, I don't know what he said, but I know he said something. Okay. <laughs> and I know that it rhymes, so I loved it even more. <laughs> yeah, that like, was a good, that was a soul restoring kind of an episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, he was out here. I remember he was out here for People Summit. I didn't get a chance to meet him while he was out here, but it's definitely, it's definitely on the list. Um, but actually, the thing I wanted to, to talk about was it was something I heard on, actually, something I kind of heard with uh, Crystal and mm-hmm. Kyle, and they were talking to Ryan Grimm, your boy. I like mm-hmm. Ryan Grimm and his haircut. I don't know why people give him <laughs> grief about that. I don't, I don't get it. I, I, it fits him, I think. Um, but then, uh, yeah, so he and he was talking about how, like, and I want to know your, your thoughts on it, how basically that if all these companies, Lockheed Martin, all these big corporations have signed off on, let's do all this diversity, inclusion, equity, um, like they're putting out all this language, right? And a lot of it, you know, like Hillary did that against Bernie, like when she was coming out, like we're going to out, quote unquote, woke him or something, you know? Um, And like, basically, if all these companies are signing on to doing this, whatever you're doing isn't a threat and you should question it, right? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how You've had you've asked for certain Congress people, uh, specifically, I call out my sister Corey, um, to come out on the pod, right? Mm-hmm. And I see her; she's doing an event with uh, Dr. Ibram Kendi. I don't have any beef with Mr. Kendi, 
either. But then it's about banned books. Mm. I'm kind of like, oh. <laughs> this will get an audience <laughs> with, you know, this, you get an audience. If that's the type of conversation that you want to have about banned books. But mm-hmm. if it's something mm-hmm. more substantive, then uh, the office can't get back to you. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. What are, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been, this idea has been really crystallizing, I think, over the, some recent interviews. But at the end of the day, you know, they're the left that caused me weak and a sellout and all these other kinds of things for not going harder on these people. But the best I can do is try to have given them the fairest opportunity to present alternative strategies to the ones that come up like force the vote, to submit themselves to interviews, to explain why they chose to make the strategic choices that they've made and explain to us in a way that maybe we would accept. You know, maybe there's some secret, you know, thinking that we just aren't privy to. Every opportunity has existed in the world. And at this point, after really, I think, giving the most good faith approach to them, I think at this point, I can pretty fairly say that they are more invested or their behavior reflects an investment in protecting the insiders and the status quo than actually exposing them in the adversarial manner that they were supposed to do when we sent them to Congress. Mm. And that's a choice. It is not about a personal animus, but it's a very clear choice that they've articulated through all of their actions over the course of two plus years. I didn't make that choice for them. I gave them every opportunity to show them that they were making a different kind of a choice. I've tried really hard to take any one action out of context and judge them expansively for it. I'm not going to good grace. You know, I, I, I really tried and some people don't like me for that. And some people think I'm a sellout even for doing that. But I think no one can really look at me and say that I've been unfair at this point to any of them or that I've jumped to any conclusions or that I have, I'm have i acting out of personal animus or desire to get clicks or anything like that. Because I, trust me, I could have done a million and one fraud squad videos ripping so-and-so apart from a Met Gal of this and that and that. Right. And I've tried to be measured. And again, I hope, I, I would love to be proven wrong and have someone say, you know what, I've decided to stop playing along. I'm here to speak my truth. Here's my testimony. And I would love to hear that, and I would welcome that with open arms as well. But that's not the world we live in. So, yeah, I think that you're right. It is very frustrating the kinds of things that people will make time for mm. and the kind of things that they won't. Um, and it is heartbreaking. I think a lot of people, particularly Cori Bush, because she's a working-class background, even more so than some of the others, She's experienced homelessness. She came up through Ferguson and the Black Lives Matter protests. You know. That was my one. That was her. It was her. And then it was Rashida. And then I just seen a picture with Rashida. Like, just hella giddy with Joseph. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that. No. There's an interview with Rashida Tlaib and Joe Biden? No, no. Not an interview. She took a picture with him. And was like, seemed really excited to like take the picture. Like, I don't even think he was smiling in the pic. I think she mm-hmm. might have been the only one smiling in the pic. And then I just like, so I seen that. And then back to back, I just seen how um, like Biden is trying to increase the police funding so that, you know, we can hire more police. And I'm, um, you know, like, and I'm thinking like, damn, we don't even got no, like the way I'm feeling right now, John, again, nothing personal, but just off of actions and things like with previous bills and whether or not they've chosen to hold something up to get this in exchange for it. Um, but I'm like, damn, we don't even got nobody 
to like it doesn't feel like we have anybody in there to fight against the expansion of the police state. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, and that's sad. It, it, it's it's hard. Look, <laughs> you guys. For those of you who like this kind of uh, topic, you'll really enjoy Thursday's episode. Ooh. Uh, but yeah, like, I, there's it's just there's no way around it. I'm sorry. Like, I I I don't know what else to I don't know what else to say. There's 20 million people in the streets, explicitly about the issue of police abolition, and brought uh, Joe Biden turned around and said. You know, fuck them kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to fund the police harder. And that's that. You know, I, I did a radar about this, you know, a week before last. We're evaluating why Stacey Abrams struggling with black male voters in particular. And you sit there and you look at her, spend so much energy on the campaign trail trying to erase her good statements about to fund the police from right. 2020. And it's like the the messaging inconsistency, like even if you weren't even that into defund as a movement, like hearing someone go back and forth and clearly not stand by their ideals is like disheartening and demotivating. Mm-hmm. You can't, yeah, you can't put your faith around something like that. And then, um, and then, you know, go ahead and try to get the baby, <laughs> not the baby, little baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're the wrong baby. And then, you know, try to, uh, I guess, market to uh, a demographic who you're like actively not investing into and you're mm-hmm. actively trying to invest in the system that oppress those people. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, it's like you get you get it you get it on both ends and um and I and I'll 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 end I'll end with this because it's not, I don't know if someone else picks it up and continues the conversation um but I think I heard it in one of the previous call-ins is you know, I think I've kind of gotten to the place where my expectations of what's coming from that inside strategy is not very high, right? And mm-hmm. I think we've all kind of gotten to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, the one area where I feel like, okay, what could be the next thing that isn't necessarily centered around the movement being mobilized by a black death um, would be labor, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get, I get scared when it comes to labor in, in terms of like the unions and at the top because I never understand like the deals that they take at mm-hmm. times when I'm just like, you know, they literally can't operate without you. Like, why mm-hmm. are you just taking like a 35 cent raise or something? Or even, I didn't even know this was possible with the rail, the rail uh, workers. I didn't know that Congress could come in and be like, okay, we're going to just put a deal on y'all. Mm-hmm. And then y'all will just have to work. I didn't even know this is like parliamentarian type mm-hmm. of obstruction. I didn't even know it was possible. Mm-hmm. I didn't either. And, but for Bernie, that's how it would have gone down. You know, they put that deal on the table and all they had a, a remember it was like late night on, I guess that was Wednesday night. They were trying to railroad that through and Bernie was like, I absolutely will not vote for this. And so it, it died because they needed the 50 votes. Yeah. But that's, that's the world that we live in. So I'm, you know, people have been drawing some parallels and I'm trying to put together an episode, kind of a history of labor episode on general strikes and really what this moment could bring us. But you know, people were making sense between, you know, Joe Biden and Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan choosing to crush the traffic controller strike and bring in all of the um, strike breakers. Yeah. And, you know, it would be interesting to see what would happen if Joe Biden were really, really actually pushed, pushed and tested because, you know, he's getting accolades for being the most pro-union president <laughs> in some period of time and blah, blah, blah. And like, maybe that's true. Yeah. I mean, the bar is low. But bar maybe low, bar true. low. Yeah. 
But like what happens when there is actually when, you know, when they're, they are going to strike or at very least closer on the precipice of a strike. And when the demands made are frankly, I mean, I, I'm not, it's not my job to sit here and tell people what who, they should accept, I, you know, what they should accept or what they need or what they want. And, you know, that's none of my right. business, but it does seem to be a moment packed with political potential. And many people have noted how responsive the white house has been to this as compared to any number of other issues. You know, Biden was animated by this, they said. That was the quote when we all woke up on Thursday morning to the news that some tentative agreement had been reached. Biden was animated. Okay, well, yeah, people are <laughs> animated by the idea of the entire sh- economy shutting down because right. uh, the trains aren't running. But it's like, I would like to see it. I would I would like to see it. So maybe, again, so it sounds good that you're putting together that type of episode. And I don't know, maybe an episode with somebody in labor mm-hmm. that can speak to... I don't know if you want to say that. I don't want to say necessarily the corruption and labor, but you know, things deals are made and things like that. Maybe somebody that can speak one airline labor person that I think her name is Sarah. Sarah, Sarah mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe her. Um, or yeah, I don't I'll, know if you I'll got pull for that. <laughs> she, she's been on the show before. Okay. Um, and I can reach out again. Um, but yeah, look, I think that it's not an accident that, um, you know, Chris Smalls and the Amazon folks, started their own union. They didn't they didn't try to merge and do it within a pre existing union yeah. infrastructure. I think there are there's a story there about some significant tensions between leadership and a lot of these rank and file. And we saw that a little bit in Nevada with the culinary union and how they mm-hmm. um, broke ranks to support Bernie when management was not going to and didn't. So yeah, there's a there's a lot to unpack here. And again, this is an area where I want to carefully because you know i'm i'm not trying to speak for anybody or pretend i know things that i don't know but you know there are some contradictions i think that are presenting themselves and i think it's worth uh investigating them and you're the best best person to do it just all you do so i appreciate you co-host i will talk to you soon okay (laughs) all right it's always good to hear from you sly all right bye all right john what's on your mind Bree, hello. Uh, first off, great episode with Dr. Prasad. I really uh, appreciated his perspective and kind of fell in line with most of kind of my own personal opinions happened to actually match that. Um, mm. So really appreciated that. Now, at the beginning of it, uh, something I thought was interesting that a lot of people don't kind of talk about, we all kind of know it's there. He said, you know, I don't know his exact words, but it's something along the lines of, you know, there's been a concerted effort by, by like anti-vaxxers for, I guess it was like decades or something to kind of cast doubt on the efficacy of vaccines at all, whether it's COVID, polio, smallpox, et cetera. And uh, to me, I at least thought initially, I'm like, okay, he's alluding to like the religious zealots or like these religious employer exemption type people. And you know, I, I started to kind of think about that a little more. And um, about a week or so ago, like on Rising, you and Robbie covered religious employers not being required to cover like HIV prevention drugs, like uh, mm-hmm. PrEP and so forth. And I'm, I'm, I went to law school. I didn't go to Harvard, so maybe you know you went to a little better one than I did. Um, so, so maybe you you kind of could thread this needle a little bit better than I could. You know, at what point does what what is the threshold to kind of trump or that we need to meet to kind of say your religious freedom arguments 
of not getting vaccines or covering HIV prevention drugs um, uh, can't be valid at this point because, uh, you know, they can be valid. You can hold them, but they're not going to dictate government policy. And it seems like we're in a place where we've almost had a regression to where now it is, okay, now your religious beliefs can dictate government policy. And it's one particular kind of religion, Abrahamic religion, that is, that can dictate, you know, the lives of everyone. And like, have you thought about or like, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know during the conversation, in particular in HIV drugs, you know, Robbie was kind of talking about I wouldn't force someone else to do it. I wouldn't, you know, force someone else to bake a cake and so forth. Um, kind of the common diversion thing. I like to say everybody brings up cake baking and um, something I kind of struggle with. So that's kind of the first part. You know, what threshold do we kind of need to meet to kind of, and why is that so pervasive? Well, I I think the issue is that we have employer-sponsored health care. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> so yeah. if you are offshoring all of the government's responsibilities through mm -hmm. private business owners, mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. you're giving them an argument to limit what provide okay. by exploiting constitutional protections that are supposed to expand freedom, not constrict it. Um, and that's just a fundamental problem that's not going anywhere in a right. lot of different contexts. They figured out that because we've basically privatized all of these things that are fundamental human rights, mm -hmm. that you can pretend the private, you know, in interest of the citizen who also happens to be an employer and the source of all of your fundamental human rights are the prevailing interest and not the interest of the employee citizen the employee citizen i guess has the option to be unemployed and to get sick and to die that's your freedom concise but harsh i appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> i mean I... that's 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 what it is so like you Truly. probably heard me become um to kind of withdraw emotionally at the end of the conversation with <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> robbie because it's like okay like i'd rather us just say what it is i say healthcare is a human right robbie doesn't you know, talk in that kind of a framework, the human rights framework. So it's fine. You don't think healthcare is a human right. You think people should be able to sentence other citizens to death because they get to be the boss and someone else is the employee. Just all you can, all I want from you is to say that out loud and let people decide if that's a system they want to vote for and support. Cause I'll tell you what, there's right. a lot more employees and employers. So I don't have to make an <laughs> argument. All I want is for you to be honest about your view and say it out loud. And which I frankly, in all sincerity, appreciate about Robbie because a lot of pe other people are very squirrely about it. You know, Brie, I think honest to God, just having, I, I found you through rising. I am, I tune into rising pretty frequently. Hmm. Um, I just have picked up on him. I mean, Robbie's such an interesting character that, I almost sense this kind of confliction maybe with his own points of view on some of this, because I hear him, I think today I heard him talking to Batya Ungar Sagan about, you know, of course we should have some social safety net and we, of course we can improve that. And of course, you know, we should revise those things as needed. I'm not completely against that. And it's like, but in the same breath, like if we asked for the revision to be not to have employer sponsored healthcare and to have like basic kind of healthcare coverages that aren't, subject to the you know religious freedom arguments all the time by like private employers like he, he kind of comes down hard on that i'm like i, I guess you, people obviously have conflicting views they hold in their head all all the time but 
I feel like maybe he's a little more soft on that, but you know, of course he, he has an audience he has to cater to as well. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's probably worth kind of having a conversation about it with him at some point in a longer format. Because yeah. I don't think that he would describe himself as kind of soft on that stuff or softening his views. <laughs> but, you know, he does acknowledge that, you know, as most people do if, if pressed, that they right. don't want people like bleeding out in the streets. Of you course. know, and that he doesn't want to, he won't. You know, maybe I'm putting words in his mouth. I'd have to ask him to be <laughs> sure. But, you know, I suspect that if I said, should we dismantle Social Security right now, he wouldn't say yes. Now, if someone else tries to dismantle Social Security, is he going to do a radar <laughs> on how important it is to maintain Social Security? No. So, right, like, right, what's the enough. difference at the end of the day if you don't stand in the way of all of the forces trying to dismantle Social Security? Like, maybe, you know, fine. Then maybe he's complicit and there's no mm-hmm. difference there. But rhetorically, yes, mm-hmm. you know, he makes he concedes points and acknowledges things about that, that kind of reflect a basic understanding about how human beings should treat each other and what it means to live in a society that right. are, I think, not in line with a strict libertarian to his credit, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to his credit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I had kind of somewhat during that HIP uh, kind of discussion with that court ruling um I know it doesn't apply nationwide, but I'm sure that'll get passed up. And who knows? Supreme Court makes it applicable to everyone. You know, Uh, I know Robbie mentioned something like, oh, baking cakes. And I don't remember your exact sentiments. And it's something I've kind of battled with myself. I mean, I'm a gay man. I have a husband like we have a family. I have a I have a vested interest in not being discriminated against, even when it comes something to as uh, something as minor as uh, getting a cake, you know, from Mm -hmm. a store, you know. I and I struggle to understand like why we're willing to entertain not not we I mean mm-hmm. the broader community willing to entertain religious freedom arguments for people but like literally these same arguments and sometimes you you, you he- read some of the briefing I'm like these are the same arguments that like 19th century like slaveholders said this is why we can't have interracial marriage and mm-hmm. like the whites and the blacks can't be together and how dare I have to let a black person sit in my uh, my cafe or whatever? And I'm like, you know, isn't that like the same type of argument? I mean, I know we civil rights movement largely focused on uh, black people, which totally amazing. But I'm kind of like, shouldn't we like know that we shouldn't have to have a, another big, you know, event or, you know, cataclysm just to kind of know, oh, you do need to kind of bake a cake for a gay person. Like, it's not a big deal. You can't refuse them service because they're gay. Yeah, I, so I I haven't I don't it, the masterpiece uh, cake shopping that was like maybe 2018 or so I remember talking about it and covering it a little at the Intercept, so I don't remember the details of it in particular. But you know the idea was there were there was a gay couple getting married. They went mm-hmm. to their local cake shop. They had frequented it before and had purchased goods for other events um, yeah. as a gay couple, but the owner didn't want to make a wedding cake for them particularly because they said that they didn't believe in gay marriage mm-hmm. and you know the court felt otherwise i gotta tell you this one i'm on the fence about so <laughs> right, there's right. Been some there, there have been some other cases where obviously not substantively like i'm not inviting the baker to my house for dinner like that's, that's, not, <laughs> that's not the question oh, I, oh I, I would never think that but, <laughs> But legally, <laughs> legally, I, it's it's frustrating because I mean the the counterpoint is you know, so okay, so those those all those civil rights cases that you alluded to, the hook was 
and again, this is a kind of a flimsy hook. The hook at the time with all of those so-called Katzenberg cases mm-hmm. was that if a person were to be, you know, driving across America on the interstate highway system, which was yeah. conceived to be a kind of a fundamental right of sorts, that the fact that black people couldn't stop and find some place to eat, use the bathroom or sleep for mm-hmm. like hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds of miles a stretch because of the laws in any given state or county, that sufficiently infringed on their rights to like freely associate and be an American citizen such that you were going to force people to serve them. Right. That, that mm-hmm. was the, now I'm paraphrasing. I'm sorry. I haven't been in law school for like 10 years, but that's, <laughs> that's vaguely how I remember it. Come on, Brie. You explained. went to Harvard. You know, all of this. Yeah. The, the things don't <laughs> stick in your brain more just because you went to a school that required you to have a hell higher LSAT score. So, you know, like that, that was, that was that was that was the hook. And so mm-hmm. this idea of like it being a public good and something that like fundamentally impacts your ability to live, I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure the cake baking falls into that category. Now there have been other cases where like right. a um like a city cleric a clerk of some kind wouldn't issue a marriage license because oh, they yeah, said that... it was against their beliefs. Yeah. That to me like is obviously something that they can't do, right? Like right, if right. I literally cannot get married and access this protected right like we've already you know the case laws here gay marriage is legal like if i literally can't do that (laughs) because you just won't give me a certificate because of your personal feelings that seems obviously to be closer to that kind of katzenberg reasoning but like but the the cake the 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 counterfactual of the cake that people bring up with the cake scenario is if i am a baker brianna joy gray is a baker and somebody wants me to put you know a clan sign you know, a Confederate flag or a swastika or any number of things that I'm not too keen on, on a cake Mm -hmm. or, or, or even make a plain cake. Let's say they want a plain cake for me, but they're going to use it at their grand wizard's birthday party. Mm -hmm. Do Mm -hmm. I have the right to refuse service? I would say yes, because political opinions or things of that nature are not protected. Whereas, Race and now since the, I think Boystock, um, I think it was like a year and a half, two years ago, the Supreme Court actually read sexual orientation and gender identity into what was it, title? I forget the damn Roman numerals, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. And said, you know, you can't, employers cannot discriminate against gay people. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. Like we're mm-hmm. reading this into it. And I'm like, they're almost boxing themselves into a corner because they want to have their cake, cake haha, and eat it <laughs> both ways. And I'm like, eventually you're going to have to stop punting it and you're going to have to either say, okay, gay people, you can't get cakes made for you and people can refuse you services or adoptions or other things. And we're okay with that as a society or, uh-huh. hey, you fringe people on the right, like you're going to have to give them their HIV prevention drugs, which again, like I, I'm happy, so happy that you pointed out in the radar. It's not just gay people that are right. afflicted by this. It's like, I, I really feel like black women are the fastest growing group of people with like new HIV infections. This is ridiculous. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so like the thing is, and it, I'm, I'm like really open to the reasoning on this, like, but I, I haven't quite, I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time with this question, but you know, is there a difference between discriminating against someone because they are gay or are black? Versus discriminating against them because they are engaged in a, you know, related mm-hmm. political activity that you don't agree with. Like, so say mm-hmm. I have a religious objection to gay marriage. Is that the same thing as not serving someone because they're gay? And they had that, you know, this, these, this couple was frustrated in part because they had frequented this bake shop before and they liked, they liked it. That's right. why they picked it. Right. 
And um, it was funny because yeah, in Masterpiece, um, SCOTUS, like even the liberal justices, like came down against them. And I, I remember conservative media at least saying, oh, Supreme Court sides with the bakers on this issue. And it's like, actually, they didn't even decide like the main question we all want to know. Do they have to be, you know, do they have to bake the cake? They just said, no, no, no. The Colorado Commission on uh, Civil Rights, Human Rights, some or another, they were too harsh during their their trial or their interview with the employer. So mm. Colorado discriminated against them. But we're not mm. actually going to decide this fundamental issue that we all want to know. Mm-hmm. We're just going to punt it down the road. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you get into like these things where you know, it gives credibility back to kind of what Dr. Prasad was saying, like, it's just like this fundamental effort. Like if I can get a religious exemption for any healthcare piece, HIV medication, a vaccine or something. And it's like, at some point, like we need, we need kind of a hard line to come down eventually and say, no, you you can't like, you can't religiously exempt yourself out out of being a good human for everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that no one should be discriminated against on the basis of religion. I think that people should be able to do whatever they want in the privacy of their own homes or their worship institutions and all of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm, I -hmm. do not think that what has happened is okay, which is that having a religious status has become like a special status. Yes. One that should be protected like just everybody else minding their own business. And of course you are going to establish religion if you are putting courts and legislatures in the position of having to decide which religions are real and which ones are fake, which right. ultimately is the thing that always has to happen. Cause if mm-hmm. I sit here and say, I don't want to pay taxes on bad faith podcast because it's a religion. <laughs> no one is taking me seriously. But if I say bad faith, bad faith podcast is a church, then we're Baptists. <laughs> You got a couple of thousand followers. He'll, he'll be your, uh, what do they call them? Members or whatever. My, disi- my disciples. We'll, we'll all be your disciples. You'll have some deacons <laughs> in here. You know? Yeah, we'll vouch for you. <laughs> I do say keep the faith a lot, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look, Love thanks it. for calling in, John. I pre- this was this was fun to move a little bit. Yeah. Thanks, Bree. All right. Keep the faith. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Anna, or is it Anna? I'm sorry, I always mess it up. What's on your mind this evening? Hey, it's Anna. Anna, what is on your mind? Well, I loved the episode. Um, I really liked Dr. Prasad, and I really liked, um, I guess, hearing a progressive push against some of the restrictions that uh, we've kind of been upholding, and uh, he just brought a lot to it for me, so I really appreciated that. Um I'm, I'm I guess glad, I, where, where's all the people who were so mad at me on the internet? I thought that some of them were going to come and, and talk to me today. <laughs> well, I, I have to say that I, I did wonder how a lot of my friends would respond to it if they listened because, mm-hmm. um, uh, well, cause I think a lot of them are either kind of doing what they want and feeling kind of bad about it or, um, or there, and then there's a group of people that, uh, feel very wronged when they, you know, see their friends, a picture of their friends online, you know, indoors maskless together mm-hmm. because, um, uh, in some cases they're, uh, you know, immune compromised or, um, 
had long COVID and feel like they're kind of being forgotten. And so still kind of trying to understand what Dr. Prasad was saying about that. But I definitely have felt like, um, so like I have a, a particular friend who has not been indoors with anyone besides their partner for this whole time. Mm. Um, and they both work from home and, you know, maybe masking up and going outside with friends or, or may, maybe not wearing a mask outside, but like being quite a big, like large distance apart, like very hardcore mm-hmm. and, and posts about like, I guess we just like don't care about immune compromised people, but they never s- say like what it is exactly that, um, I don't know the, the details of their health issues mm-hmm. and, um, and how, and what kind of research there is or what the particular concern is so it's kind of hard to know how to respond to some of this because I have other you know friends who were really concerned at first too got COVID were fine do have you know autoimmune issues or whatever other things and uh and then they seem to have relaxed their precautions so um it would certainly it's just it's hard to dialogue about this stuff because it, it feels like um, we should be allowed to self-define what we think safety is and, um, you know, our own. Like, I keep hearing, I don't know if the the word comfortability just like became invented, but people keep saying that <laughs> instead of comfort. And I feel like it's um, a way of saying like, you know, a, like uh, relativizing the word comfort. Like mm-hmm. it's like up to each person to decide. I guess it is up to them to decide what comfort is. But it's like, um, I guess there's a little bit of a... Uh, resistance to actually dialoguing and, and saying these uh, coming out and explaining the reasons why you're giving the preca- or choosing the precautions that you do because it's almost like you shouldn't have to or something mm. but, you know which obviously I disagree yeah it's so it's interesting because I, I feel like I have no dog in this fight I have largely avoided having any conversations about COVID whatsoever on this show I think we did one COVID episode in like the fall of 2020 and really haven't talked about it since until the Walker um, uh, Robbie episode, which I wanted to do in part because rising made me talk about it so much that I was forced to pay attention in a way that I hadn't <laughs> before. Like before I learned enough to make my own personal decisions. And for me, again, I work from home. I live alone. I am young. I don't have any preexisting conditions. I was making all kinds of decisions that made sense for me. It's easy for me to wear a mask. I can afford high quality masks, blah, blah, blah. So I, I didn't feel like I needed to learn anything more than what me with my, you know, 37 years needed to know, you know. Being on Rising has been illuminating in certain ways because regardless of whether or not I agree with every COVID take that comes down the pike on there, I was stunned by what I didn't know, what I uh-huh. wasn't aware of with respect to the conversations that were happening. And when Kim was still on the show, it was especially disorienting because I, you know, someone talks and then you feel like you have to have a take. And I felt like my role was in many, many times to just like push back. And I wanted to push back because it was unfamiliar stuff. And I just wanted to have more clarity on what exactly was being argued and on what basis and what the evidence was. But my own ignorance left me largely unable to do so without just seeming like I'm generalized. Like, and I'm just like, you know, pro maximalist approach in a way that's kind of like without evidence and baseless. It makes me seem kind of Mm -hmm. like not knowledgeable. So when so many people wrote after the Robbie and uh, 
Walker episode that I should talk to Dr. Prasad, I was very, very curious. And to be honest, I was, I was trying to listen very hard to him and with a fine tooth comb, try to figure out where the logic failed to see if all of the libs are actually right about this one. And mm-hmm. there were a couple of points that I thought were a little bit jumping to conclusions. Like, you know, there, we don't know about long COVID. Mm-hmm. It could end up being very, very bad. And we could be making a mistake here. But of course, I take his point that if we, you know, if we know there's certain harms that are happening from the interventions that we've brought on, how, how savvy is it make all these decisions, you know, based on long COVID being a significant having a significant impact and we don't really know that much about it at the time. It, like it goes both ways. The cost benefit right. changes to, depending on as the risk profile of various things change. So like right. there was a stuff about the mice, like why are you bringing up how many mice it's tested on? If you know, it's perfectly normal to only test on a handful of mice. It sounds like you're trying to undermine the science more than mm-hmm. you really need to, to make your case. I mean, there were some little moments like that, but on the whole, you know, yeah, like I, I don't, I, I, it doesn't make a ton of sense, given the risk reward, maybe, for young men in college to be subject to a vaccine mandate or booster mandate. Right. I'm, and I'm waiting for some of the people who are upset on the Internet to tell me why that's wrong. I don't have a dog in this fight. If you tell me that I've misunderstood something and that there's a very significant reason why men who are 20 years old in college should have a vaccine mandate, a booster mandate, I'm all ears. I'm not 24. I have no kids. I give a shit what they do. I'm just trying to figure out what the logic is and what makes sense. But no one's saying that. Like, people are just like, oh, you're bad. I can't believe you platformed him. I'm like, just tell me. Like, come on the show. Tell me what the counter argument is. I would love to. I don't, I don't, I can't spend my whole life reading Dr. Fauci's book. Like, tell me, or, or like reading whatever, like, CDC reports come down the pike or reading all of these medical journal articles. Tell me, tell me. And when, and when the, when the other side isn't able to be specific or come to the table and explain themselves, I'm kind of left with feeling like, yeah, there's some good points that have been raised here. And then I feel betrayed. Like, why is it that it's taken this long for me personally and for the left more broadly to really engage with some of this stuff? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask the same question because, um, well, I guess because it's been affecting me, uh, personally, I mean, people will decline to do certain things or they'll want to wear a mask when we hang out or something like that. And it's made me want to really have like a, uh, do some research and have a stance on, uh, precautions. But, uh, but yeah, I haven't felt that drive from as many people. It's felt more like, um, I'll just kind of like, you know, decide what feels best or I'll just like go with my like gut comfort and, and then like, you know, asking, why did you make this choice versus that one, mm-hmm. you know, uh, feels like it's rude and, uh, out of place, you know? So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I yeah, don't understand mask, why more yeah. people haven't wanted to really engage. It's the Mastiff is funny because I personally still feel whether it's cause I'm a weird freak or not. I, when I'm like, I don't like indoor dining. It feels weird. And on the, the, the occasions that I hop in the elevator, I have a kind of low traffic building. I mostly don't see people in there, but occasionally when I get in there thinking, oh, I'm just running down. I don't have to wear a mask. And I encounter someone in the elevator. I feel very weird. It feels, I feel very exposed. Uh-huh. And I personally would love it if people wore masks in close proximity with each other. 
I, I would love that. <laughs> you know, I would love that. When I was on the plane and sitting next to an unmasked person for seven hours and, you know, had to rely on, you know, you, you, you know, you wear your own mask and you can say that that's enough. But I was conscious of the fact that if I fall asleep, if I have to take this off to take a sip of water, that there's no like second layer of protection. It's just me and her. We're like raw dogging this air together. Mm-hmm. And so like, I personally have a com- comfortability level. <laughs> My comfort level is to prefer mask in close quarters. I don't Forever? know that. Well, no, I mean, my for, for the foreseeable future, that, that is my comfort level. However, I also hear this argument and I have a hard time justifying why someone else should have to wear the mask for my personal comfort level. And it's just on me. I Like, I promise you, I'm not going on any more seven-hour flights. By Europe, not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to explore the, the, the beauties and wonders of uh, North America <laughs> <laughs> for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I, it's it's funny. I think part of it, maybe my drive to research more is because it's been so alienating to me. Like, I actually, I mean, maybe it's silly, but yeah, I feel sad when my my friend is like coming over to hang out and wants to wear a mask doors, you know, like, I don't know, like, I I guess I, I like intimacy with friends. Doctor, what did Dr. Prasad say? Something like a lot of good things happen when you're, you know, close say like 10 feet apart and breathing each other's air or something like that like um yeah i know yeah i, I think it, me was like, it makes me sad <laughs> me. look here, but here's the thing like i i meet up with friends like i i have probably had some indoor gatherings maybe like twice this year with like three other people like katie halper came over my apartment once when she was in dc and we sat here in my apartment and talked to each other but that's like one or two person level of risk. You know what I mean? I haven't had an yeah. experience where I've been like having a, a 20 person party or 30 person party the way I did in the before days, nor have I really had the experience of like, if I were to go to a lecture hall or something, you know, I would put a yeah. mask on. Cause it's, I'm not actually talking to anybody. I'm just sitting there watching someone else. And then right. afterward we can all go outside and have lunch. alfresco, whatever it is. Yeah, but I guess yeah. for me personally, just it really hasn't come up in that way. You know, Thanksgiving was tough. It was a decision about what the family was going to do. And everybody took a test beforehand. And it was a limited group of people and stuff like that. But we still did it. And it was fine because options were taken. I think what people object to, what some cohort of people objects to, is the idea that, like, we're not even going to do any of that because Prasad's message might be interpreted as, all of the interventions are useless. Well, I mean, he was really um, uh, demeaning. Like, I mean, like, so he was like, you were like, I could wear a mask to make someone more comfortable. And he's like, yeah, you could take your shoes off, you know, at the front door to make them more comfortable. Like, was kind of like. Which I do. You know, of course I do. Right. But like, <laughs> but he was, he was basically saying like, you know, it's just as, it's, it's no different from that. Like, it doesn't hold the actual meaning beyond politeness right well, well all, i mean actually taking your shoes filthy. off does yeah right, 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 right and our canadian friends and asian friends and everybody from a cultural background where they take their shoes off is come right about that one <laughs> okay yes yes bad analogy but you know what I'm <laughs> yeah yeah no, so I, I know I, what you're saying but like i, I do think that if I, if there were one criticism and perhaps i should have pushed back more in the context of the episode i mean i felt my views were pretty clear on this from the earlier episode but i think he was flipping he was flipping about masks 
masks not being 100% effective does not mean that they don't work. The good masks do work, especially if they're fitted. And even the ones that are quote unquote not working are still minimized emission by like 50%. Yeah. When they, when yeah. they fit well, it's like 95%, right? Yeah. But 50% ain't nothing. Right. Yeah. I had a friend come over who was feeling COVID worried, decided to wear a mask. And I was like, but I'm not wearing one. How much is this going to help you? Um, and I like thought for certain this was just silly. And um, and I actually did what was able to talk to them about it without being rude. And um, they pointed me to something online that did say that like there are some there still is protection when you wear a mask, even when other people aren't. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that they, you know, went to went to the gym for it and they were like, um, you know, COVID weight and they never got it, which is anecdotal. But like, honestly, some of the anecdotal stuff I've heard has been just as helpful as anything else. You know, we all knew that mm-hmm. like the vaccine wasn't stopping the spread at a certain point before that was anything anyone was saying on any platform. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, I mean, we've had to rely on that stuff some too, but with the, um, I guess the other thing was like, I think I had some resistance to, and I, I was actually, I was really COVID cautious for a while, but as soon as it felt like it didn't have meaning, I wanted to just like immediately get rid of it. But like, um, I guess I was associating some of it with like this like self-restraint being something that was more like um, uh, comfortable for like more professional managerial class people who don't have to work with their coworkers and don't have to... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just something I really had a resistance to because I felt like it was this practicing of self-restraint and I don't really like that very much. But um, I don't know what you think about that. But I wonder if people that are just more self-sufficient in general just feel comfortable having a lot more boundaries from other people because there's a difference in uh, uh, having kind of like, uh, yeah, dependence on people needs from other people makes a uh, boundaries less attractive maybe because because you need that i don't know because they're necessary to you well so one i would need to see some numbers on who does and doesn't wear masks because i see like the if you turn on fox or whatever they'll make fun of people who mask outside and blah 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 and how it's these elites and all that but when i'm walking around the people i see masked outside are like delivery workers and you know restaurant workers and like you know i live in a well let me not tell where i live I see people around and about <laughs> um, from various <laughs> economic backgrounds. And it seems to me that a lot of like working class families are walking around with masks on and with their children masks, even outside. Now, I think that a lot of people who are masked outside are like going from point A to point B and they're not just masking to sit in the park. They're just in transit, sure, you know, sure, getting sure. out of a car, going into a building, that kind of a thing. But I think that a lot of, you know, there's obviously going to be a group of people like service workers and like and the like who are exposed because of their jobs who choose and want to have that level of protection and there are people like myself for whom it's like very easy to mask because i'm so rarely in public um that it ain't no thing so i I think it can go both ways i will also say that i i have gotten more lax since I have had COVID with first it was like oh I just had COVID so I'm like super immune right now let me just enjoy this next month of immunity (laughs) and then Uh I realized it was just harder for me to get back into the habit of it once I got used to it so like I had left the house without a mask which is something I didn't used to do 
Because I wasn't planning on getting into an Uber. I wasn't planning on being inside anywhere. I was just going to like walk a dog or something. And then I decided to prompt you to go to a museum. And I didn't have a mask going to the museum. And I felt like, oh, this is sacrilege. I'm like walking around this museum now without a mask on. Uh And it felt weird. And then I rationalized, well, I'm not really close to anybody. They're like, we're very spaced out. The ventilation in here is pretty good. It's not the worst. But I don't know. I'm like, I'm wrestling with it myself because the, the indefinite nature of this, to your point, does make one think, well, you know, how long am I going to do this? Right. Yeah. What is my risk? If Now, if I get COVID tomorrow, after having just had it in July, I want to be like, screw this. I'm going back to full on protection. Because if I didn't get COVID for two years and then got it twice in one summer, once I stopped wearing a mask, like that's all the evidence I need. I'm going back to being a hardcore person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, can I share something real quick? Because yeah. this was like a, a weird experience. So I had COVID for the first time uh, in early May. Mm-hmm. And um, then I was um, hanging out with a friend uh, and she was like feeling real tired after a trip and not feeling great, but just thought she was tired from this trip. And um, later that night, she like woke up in the middle of the night and, you know, felt really symptomatic and took a test and she was positive. And I'd been hanging out with her indoors all evening. Mm-hmm. And so this is late August. This is three months, just over three months later. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, two days later, um, so right at the 48 hour point, um, when they say you, you know, would first start seeing symptoms at the soonest, um, Mm -hmm. after COVID, I immediately had like COVID aches, which I remember what those feel like distinctly and also had them when I got vaccinated and I had it those for like an evening. Um, and I was still testing negative. And then the next day, I just felt like just kind of had a stomach ache and was a little tired, still testing negative. And then all the days following, no symptoms at all, never tested positive. And so um, I did some research online. And um, what can happen is if you uh, did recently have COVID and you're exposed, you can have it in your system, but your immune system will respond to it a lot quicker, especially if it's a similar strain. It will Mm -hmm. identify it really quickly. So that explains why I had symptoms right away. And then, um, and then it can, it can kind of fend it off so that you never have a high enough viral load to test positive. So mm-hmm. you can get kind of a, a COVID light <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it's kind of like, I got a really nice booster shot or something like that. But mm-hmm. if anyone's ever had an experience like that, I just want to say that's, that's a thing that can actually happen. It's, um, yeah. And I hadn't heard anything about that before. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So hopefully that's all that it would be if you, um, yeah, get it anytime soon, Brie. Yeah, but like that's the other, that's the other weakness I think of uh, Dr. Prasad's argument was, you know, he's like, well, they, it's the initial vaccine that protects you from the worst effects, not these subsequent boosters, especially if you've gotten COVID at some point. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, totally. But you are saying that at some point that wears off, we just don't know when. And we won't know when until we see spikes in hospitalizations and deaths among young, not vulnerable people. Totally. Do you want to be the statistic that proves the rule? Right. Do you want to be the young person who dies and teaches the rest of us to go get boosted? Mm -hmm. Is that really how we want to design social policy? And, and I don't know, I don't know. Maybe it is both the case that, you know, we, we don't tell 24 year old men to get boosted but also that there is a campaign that says if you 
haven't gotten boosted and you also haven't gotten COVID, take your butt to the doctor and get a, a shot. Right, right. Yeah, maybe even a questionnaire someone could take online to see if they, if it's, you know, what the risk level is associated or, you know, some kind of analysis on how they make that decision. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Look, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Bree. All right, keep All the right. faith. Uh, Sersha, what's on your mind? Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Hi, it is good to talk to you again. I hope Same you are here. doing well. And um, I did not get a chance to listen to this, this episode today. I was, again, working on ranked choice voting and other um, reforms. But I had some comments. Doing the Lord's work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, obviously, I had a lot of comments about the last episode about voting third party and and things like that but Mm -hmm. in terms of just like listening to some of what you have been talking about in the episode that did happen today um i i have connections to ireland but i also am korean and Mm -hmm. i would say that you know over there we were wearing masks when we felt sick like any season but especially Mm -hmm. in the winter like any time and it's not Mm -hmm. really an issue and I remember my mom came and visited me and we were going to um, uh, Disneyland Tokyo and she was shocked to see in the middle of summer like a 15 year old like wearing a mask and I was just like well she decided to wear one you know but it wasn't an issue and I think what we're going through now is getting to that like adjustment period where we stop caring like who's wearing and who isn't. And it's harder in personal interactions. I think where it's like, you know, a friend is coming over to your house because mm-hmm. that is a bit more awkward, but you know, her friends weren't and she was, and I don't know if she's cautious or whatever, but she just decided to, you know, wear one. Um, and in Ireland, that's kind of what's happened now. The mandates are gone, but people now wear them whenever they feel like they want to wear one and it's not really a big issue. So I think it's interesting that we're still kind of having this conversation about like what everyone should do. And I guess my perspective on it is people should do however they feel. If they feel out, then don't go out. If they want to go out and wear a mask and they're jogging outside, I mean, it's not hurting anybody. They're doing it for their their comfort level, and that's what they want to do, I guess, is kind of my thought. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think increasingly – okay, so there's one – when it comes to personal behavior, I think that's – it's where we are. I mean, this is what I'm always saying to Robbie. Like, you guys, you want to do these segments about outlier cases. Okay, the D.C. school system has a vaccine mandate, but nobody else does. Um, You'll find some district, some county somewhere that decided to enact some rule. There's a restaurant that wants you to mask. And you want to do a whole segment about how oppressive this is. But on the whole, all of that stuff is in the rearview mirror. And I'm not saying that people don't have a right to be mad about what happened in the past. But it's all over. So the conversation now should, you know, it's, you got to ask yourself, why are we still talking about those outlier cases why is there so much focus on it it does seem to be a desire to actually control or stigmatize people who do opt voluntarily to engage in certain kind of practices like wearing masks in public and you know i i i have many times gotten into a vehicle or something and been told at this point you know oh you don't have to mask i'm like oh that's Mm -hmm. no worries i prefer to 
But the pressure, it, it does feel in my direction to unmask. I, I don't, you know, I, you, it's illegal. You can't tell people now in most cases to mask at all. So it does feel, it does feel like you're right. Like it should be laissez-faire. I mean, it basically is laissez-faire. Right. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel like now there's a social, all the social pressure for nobody to do anything at all and do this return to normal, which I think is where people like Walker have a real point, which is that there's another category of intervention that has nothing to do with personal choice that has everything to do with, um, you know, societal structures, who is going to invest in HVAC systems, who is going to distribute free masks, who is going to have a a time uh, off policy. And those absolutely should still come down the pipe. Like we should obviously still be advocating for all of those kinds of things because they keep us safer, even when we're not wearing a mask. And I am frustrated because the people who should be adversarial to the Biden administration and pointing out that he's not doing a good job do not advocate for those things for the most part. They're only invest this idea of like libertarian freedom from having to do X, Y, and Z. And so I want to say, yes, it should be like basically laissez-faire. It is laissez-faire. The mandates are gone. But I actually don't want to fully embrace that worldview because that in some ways lets administrations and governments off the hook for them doing their role to stop the pandemic. Yeah, I totally agree that things like better ventilation and time off policies and things like that should absolutely be built into the business process of any, every business, any business that is, you know, able to do that. But I also think that some of this stems from, and this is kind of some of my thoughts that I had on the last um, Colin episode is I think that Matho politicized and it kind of got turned into this question for the left of like, well, as as the left, we are supposed to be empathic to other people. And so by doing these things, it's this signal that you care about other people. And so I think now it's hard to kind of draw away from that when that's such a key component to all of the left positions, you know, at the core of them is supposed to be about empathy for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's, I do think going that direction of like better ventilation and, you know, sick policies and things like that are a better way on some level to address that. But I get that. I think for me, at least, I think some of this is stemming from that initial kind of polarization and I wouldn't want to see it I don't want to say split the left, but cause this huge argument about what what should happen or or what the position kind of quote unquote should should be. Um, because I was thinking a lot about the union stuff that came out in the last call where they were talking about the strikes. And a strike that didn't get mentioned was the minor strike, which has been going mm-hmm. on for like a year. And I was listening to an episode of The Daily, and there's this really interesting part in there where the striker, the minor on strike says, you know, we couldn't get any support from any of these Democrats who supposedly believe in earth justice or climate crisis or anything like that. And the only people that we could really get support from was the DSA because it was her solidarity. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting how power will use a left issue like that to split, to stop that kind of solidarity in 
what could be a left cause. And I guess I kind of see a little bit of that in this COVID thing potentially as well, mm-hmm. that same kind of dynamic where they use it to split a more, what could be a larger coalition of people. Yeah, I do. I, I, it's, this has come up in a couple of conversations I've had just today. <laughs> you know, when we talk about like the 99% versus the 1%, that's mm-hmm. all great on a Bernie t-shirt. And then the second we get into the real world, it seems like everyone has a lot of reasons to not want to actually join up with other people in the 99. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some messy, messy folks in this uh, coalition. But, you know, I completely appreciate where people are coming from when they have distaste for certain parts of the coalition or they feel like there's a conflict of interest between, okay, you're mining fossil fuels and I'm an environmentalist or whatever it is. But, you know, then we got to really evaluate the 99% language. Do we mean right. it or did we not mean it? And do we right. believe in the power of, of, co- of doing the work of coalition building or is this more what the Democrats do, which is to, to, to try to find the exact combination of overlap two to 51% so you can win an election. Is it the right. 51% or is it the 99%? I'm saying that kind of flippantly, but you know, it's, it's actually quite, um, but it does feel sometimes like these people get factional willing to think in those terms. So this, this is why it bugs me when people I know and I, um, are say something that you don't, that they don't agree with. I want to give a lot of credit, like, you know, Walker reached out to me earlier today and he was so kind and warm and was like, I was happy to talk through so many things like credit where credit's due. There are wonderful members of our left community who disagree with things and I can keep talking about it. I, I heard, I haven't been able to see it yet, but then on Young Turks and spoke to Cenk and Anna today about all of their defund the police conversation that's been ongoing. And I, but there is also, right, this kind of one true Scotsman approach that frustrates me, especially when there's like personal relationships and people should know better than to discard each other as bad faith actors. Like this isn't some random internet tweeter. <laughs> like this isn't some like egg right. account. Um, so yeah. And, and shout out. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up um, the, the minor strikes. We covered them obviously last summer, but it has been a while and we're overdue for a whole slate of labor episode. So thanks. Thanks for the plug. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was encouraged to hear a lot of people saying that, like, it didn't matter the color of the color. The point is that everybody works and everybody has a color. And I think if you can move to more language like that, they really can talk about the 99%. So I, I, I don't think yeah. it's hopeless. <laughs> yeah, no, me either. And it's hard, too, because it's like there is a critique of the professional managerial class. And, it you know, there are conflicts of interest that have to be resolved and that shouldn't be resolved in favor of the wealthier subset of the 99 you know and i as a member of pmc it, it's like real rich for me to sit here and say mm, it's the 99 percent. stop pointing out that i have more money than you you know what i mean like so it's not really <laughs> for me to be leading yeah. that discussion but i can see the ways in which it's pr- productive to point to the conflicts of interest but also the re- the reality of those conflicts of interest shouldn't mean that coalitions can't be built or that people have to be kicked out of a coalition it just means we have to be more thoughtful about how it's put together and, and who gets and stuff like that. But anyway, thank you, Sersha. I really appreciate you calling in. Of course. Have All a right, night. keep the faith. Got to keep saying keep the faith after every call to make sure we get our um, tax exempt status uh, as the church of uh, bad faith. <laughs> What's on your mind, Wraith? Can you unmute yourself for us, Wraith? 
Brianna Joy. <laughs> How are you doing tonight? What's on your mind? Oh, God. It's been a day. Um, Hasn't it, though? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was my first day back at my old job that I quit because I got tired. Mm-hmm. How was um, it? Oh, they was trying it the fir- my first day back. Tell me I need training. Like, I ain't been working this position for the past five years. Stop playing mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. True. But, what do they say to that? Why they? Why don't they want to count the fact that you've worked there for five years? Oh, um, because I really stupidity. Like, they, they want me to do things their way, but my way makes more sense. Like, I follow uh, company policy. I'm not about to kiss your ass to do a job. You don't pay me that much. Are you about to the great resignation again, Ray? <laughs> no, no, no. You know what? My friend asked me that too. I said I got about I got a good three to five years in me before I quit again. <laughs> That's a long time. I gotta well, I gotta build my full one K back up. See, last time I quit, I just I just stayed out of work because I just needed a break from working. Mm-hmm. And like they flared me down like I'm a PMC. Bitch, no. I make $40,000 a year. Now, I'm mm-hmm. not PMC. I'm just responsible with my money. That's all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm right, well, sorry to hear that was a rough one, Wraith, but uh, I, I hope I hope Bad Faith didn't put you even in a rougher mood uh, rougher mood this evening. What's on your mind? No, uh, Bad Faith could never, okay? <laughs> you have no idea what this podcast and this show and this debrief has done for my energy. Like, I'm truly thankful for Brianna Joy Gray. You do not understand. That's very kind of you to say. It's humbling. Tell tell me, tell me what you think, because this really is about what you think about things. So I, I listened to the um the episode today with Doc, and it's like I was hearing it, but I won't hearing it. Mm-hmm. And it's like he was kind of like talking past me, and I was like, I was honestly thinking to myself, like, is COVID really like still a thing? But like, I mean, granted, yeah, I don't watch like mainstream news, but like I do my part. Like I keep up with uh, Savvy Sales, Bad Faith, Breaking Points, mm-hmm. Vanguard, Revolution, uh, Revolutionary Blackout. Now, like I keep up with different news and and rising Tuesdays through thir- Tuesday through Thursday only. I, I can't do Mondays, but Tuesday through Thursday <laughs> definitely. I just can't. <laughs> I just can't. I can't. But, um, and I'm like, is COVID really like still a thing? Cause like, I, re- I remember COVID. I had COVID and I had to, I had OG COVID. Like <laughs> it, it was, it was a process. Cause like, I didn't even realize I had it until mm. it was like too late. Mm. Um, you mean like the I first, had, you had the first strain? Yes. And mm. it was horrible. Like mm. I had just found this recipe on Facebook that I wanted to try and I cooked it. And I want to think in my mind that I made it right. <laughs> but when I went to eat it, I could not taste nothing. I was like, wait a mm. minute. what? I couldn't even smell it. I was like, oh, no. Mm. Not that. So, and I mean, it took me about a good three to four months to get my uh my smell and taste senses back. Like, I had COVID when there was no test. And they was telling everybody that they had a sinus infection. Mm. And so, like, after that, like, I mean, I started walking around with gloves on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kept alcohol in a spray bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, I wore these raggedy face masks that are not KN95. They just decorative. They make people feel good. 
Mm-hmm. I had one of those. Um, they told us to put a bandana before we could get masks. They told us to take like, right. a bandana and put like scrunchy. What do you call them? Like hair ties right. around your ears and loop it through. <laughs> That's what I wore to clean out my office at Birdie headquarters. <laughs> one of them little bandanas tied to my face. And yeah, like, when, I, mm-hmm. when I was at work today, they was, they was doing a little side tour or whatever. And then they took us to the back of the building where they have the face mask machine. I was like, y'all still making these ragged ass face masks. Y'all need to stop. Y'all know this shit don't work. I mean, it's it's not effective. It's not effective. So do they not have, they're not giving you guys um, the higher quality masks? Have what, the, the kind of papery surgical masks? Yeah, that's, that's what they are. That's what mm-hmm. they are. That's what they make. Like, they have different ones that they make. Mm-hmm. But they not... It, yeah, you you gonna get the bare minimum, and then like they don't even have a, like a masking policy. They say they're following um local CDC guidelines or whatever. They say if cases go back up, we'll go back to masking. But I'm like, well, once it get cold, I'll be wearing a mask. And then working with people, their dental hygiene is not what it needs to be. So I just prefer <laughs> to wear a mask. Right. It's not the because truth. of their hygiene. That dental hygiene, I'm telling you, fighting dragons six o'clock in the morning. That's unnecessary. Like even if you even if you skip your toothbrush on the way to work, bring it with you. Okay, brush on your first break. That's all I'm asking. Because I I take I have toothpaste, toothbrush, and dental in my locker. Every time I eat, I brush because I don't like food sitting on my teeth. You're killing me. You are killing me. Okay, so you, you're working in a place where they're obviously, do they require you to mask or do they suggest that you mask? How do they frame it's, it? It's, it's optional at this point. Like, okay. you know, they say, and then they have it where like, okay, if you're vaccinated, then they'll give you like a discount on your health insurance and all of that stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they, they little incentive. The last job I was at, if you was fully vaccinated, it was like a pay incentive where they'll give you like $1,500 or whatever, but you mm-hmm. have to work there for like at least three to six months. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's all over the place. But like, I know for me, like once it start getting cold, like, oh yeah, the mask will be coming back. Cause like I'd be vigilant of stuff. Like I see people, they like touch door handles, no hand sanitizer. Then they go in there, open a bag of chips and they eat it like, like, you, you really pay attention to stuff like that. Like, once you get sick, you just be like, oh, wait a minute. Mm-mm. So, like, I keep, like, alcohol around me 24-7. Like, nah, I can't. No, just, ugh. Like, I can't do it. Okay, well, look, so, let, me, let, me just, let me just do a little bit of, um, let me just do a little bit of fact-checking out here because I don't want to be doing a misinformation. So, I want to make sure there's not this slippage between, you know, some masks work better than other masks to, like, the the, bat, the worser masks don't work. They don't work as well, but there's still some protection. So we know the N95, I'm reading this off of Samaritan Health Services website because this is what came up first. Um, the N95, if worn correctly, highest level of protection stops 95% of particles. KN95 um, provides more protection than disposable masks, but it doesn't say, oh, wait, let me, let me just switch to this other one that gives me better numbers, like more specific numbers. Um, okay, this is from, come on, page load. Okay, N95, 95%, surgical mask, still at 89%. So it's still catching a lot Wait, of those droplets. For the disposable masks? Yeah, those little papery surgical masks. 
Oh, okay, so it ain't just a comfort. That's good. That's a yeah. passing grade. Yeah, the ones that are real trash, and again, still 50% are the cotton fabric masks. Okay. So okay. the cotton I, ones... I correct it. Yeah, I don't like those anyway because I'm not washing... I'm not... I'm not washing those. <laughs> I just know my my own my own laundry schedule is I would have to have like 30 of them because that's how many I would need to have a clean one on hand. So yeah, surgical masks and the N95 masks are still doing doing a thing here. Yeah, I mean, it's I I've I went like I just before I uh called in, like I went on Walmart website to see if I could find like a a, a K95 or KN95 either one on the site and like you can order them online but it's like you you can't pick them up in store like i'm trying to be able to run in and pick it up just like that because like mm-hmm. for me like i do my shopping like first thing in the morning because i ain't too fond of traffic and i ain't too fond of people so like i'm trying to go to the store when it's like as little people as possible in there mm-hmm. so i'm one of those people that be at the store at 701 mm-hmm. with no hesitation i go in i'm not in there no more than 15 minutes and i'm mm-hmm. back out Mm-hmm. And like for the most part, I don't mask, but I know if I'm gonna be like in large quarters with people, mm-hmm. just because I don't, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. Like if I see like a large group of people and I don't see no mask, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'm vaccinated and boosted. Mm-hmm. Like I don't project that onto anyone. Like if you don't want to wear a mask, fine, but I'm wear one. And if I feel like I don't want to be around y'all, then I just disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of my philosophy with the gym. I was masking in the gym until, well, basically I was masking in the gym and then it got warm enough for me to be able to go and run back outside again and just wasn't going to the gym. And then these days, as I go back to the gym, I tend to go, first of all, almost no one uses my gym in my building, but very late at night, I'm going at like midnight. So there's no one else in there with me. And in my right. head, at least, no one's been in there for a few hours. So anything <laughs> that could have been in there has dissipated. But this is all mind games, right? This is, this is part of the critique that, like, even the people who act like they're super virtuous, like me, are obviously playing fast and loose. Right. Because, like, I mean, like, when I'm watching, uh, when I'm watching Rising and I listen to uh, Robbie, mm-hmm. I just feel like, bless his heart, because... He has truly made this the hill to die on about mandates and the vaccine and all of that, which is fine, you know, but it's like, can just give me like some neutral information. I know you don't like masks. I know you don't care for the whole vaccine mandate thing, but just give us the neutral information. Like, don't, don't, don't taint it. Mm-hmm. Because like people are watching, like we barely can get honest information from well, we can't get honest information from mainstream media, so we have to come to independent sources. Mm-hmm. So that that just be my whole thing. Like it's like I have to take everything with a grain of salt, and I just have to figure it out from there because it's hard. Which is why I really appreciate Bad Faith because you do your best to give us neutral information and bring on people who ain't just giving their type of talking point or trying to push an agenda. And then you ask the tough questions and you ask the question in a way that they can't wiggle around it. And then if you, if you're carrying your debrief energy, then, you know what I'm saying? You give them like a little bit of an attitude, which I love. I I, I live, I live for your debrief energy. I do. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm promise you, I'm going to put a, uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to work till Thursday. 
But I'm going on, I'm going to go on Rosin's YouTube channel and I'm going to find the clips and I'm going to like stitch them together and I'm going to show you your debrief energy moments because it be leaking out onto Rosin and I be in love. Like, I really do. But I'm like, oh, she is giving it to Rosin today. Like, she's not letting up. I appreciate that. Because it was one, it was one episode you was going in about, uh, I was like, I don't know why he decided to poke the bear. But I'm glad he did, because this is highly entertaining. And I think it was about, um, it was either about abolish the, I think it was one episode where it was like abolish the FBI, and then it was another clip regarding student loans. I was like, he really just, he really want to do this. Well, you know, student loans, mm, that is, that is the, where I would suggest leaving me alone. If, if you are if you are disagreeing with me and you you want to choose peace, I would suggest not poking the bear on that particular issue. Uh, but yeah, look, I look, I, I appreciate. I look, it's it's a difficult balancing act, of course, because you know it's a show and you got to be collegial, and I you know you you can't you can't um, bloody the mat every single time, or else they'd have to uh, shut down the fight. But uh, I think yeah, I, but I, it'd be so necessary. Look, I appreciate you, and I appreciate your support so for sure. You do not understand. I'm <laughs> like, damn it. I'm like, I don't like, please stop looking at the comment section. I don't even look at the comments. I don't know what them comments, damn them people. They don't know what they're talking about. This is entertaining right here. I mean, I, I know it's information about the news and what. This is entertaining. Yeah, I'm slowly letting go of that. Like, today I just... Uh, politely excuse myself from Twitter and no, I think it was the right move. But look, I, I see 21, this, this call line somehow uh, keeps getting longer. Yeah, I'm going to let you go. Through. So let me move on. But good luck. Good luck with these uh, people at work, Wraith. And look, maybe just consider, consider the surgical mask. Look, I'm, I found another website that does a better job of like uh, comparing them all. So wearing a mask lowers the odds of testing positive to the varying, the varying degrees. With a cloth, cloth masks, it lowers your odds of testing positive 50, 56%, which is still pretty good, frankly, even for a cloth mask. Surgical right. mask, 66% lowers your odds of testing positive. And uh, an N95 or KN95 brings your risk of testing positive down 83%. Okay. Well, so let's I'll, see, I'll, let's get your employer to get you some good, thing. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so considerably better all, than that. We'll go, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. But right. I'm, I'm going to take it easy. You keep the faith and have a good night. You too, Ray. Take care of yourself. You too. All right. Chris, Chris Brown, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Your comment section. That is what is on my mind. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. It's almost like the people who are commenting didn't even listen to what you guys talked about. <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know what it is with liberals, though, but they are becoming some of the most intolerable people I think I've ever seen in my life. Like, the idea that you just had a conversation with an epidemiologist about mm. COVID, and now you, you know you're, you're an anti-vaxxer now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm surprised Brianna it didn't happen friend. even earlier than this after having it for Jill Stein. I thought that automatically made me an answer. Like, how, how dare you, Brie? How dare you, Brianna? Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, that, that is the frustrating part. It's like, 
you know, I the, the irony is I thought that I was going to be dragged as a lib for doing this episode because I thought people were going to perceive me as having, you know, pushed back or disagreed or talked about how I still mask in elevators and that I was going to be the one that's like the big overly conscious lib. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's the, that's the criticism I was going to get for this. Not that by, you know, platforming in yeah. first place, I was a COVID denier. Here's a great one. Here's a great one. This person has been real harmful to the medical, nursing, and uh, public health social official workers community. He has been harmful in all circles regarding vaccines and other sorts of public health information. How dare you? I mean, look, here's, here's the irony, though. Like, I'm open to hearing what the argument is, but I was scrolling a little bit when I first posted earlier today before I um, divested from Twitter. And... I was like, just tell me what it is that you disagree. Like, tell me, just tell me, like, I have no dog in this fight. Tell me what the sentence was that he said that was wrong. Mm-hmm. T- tell, tell me specifically, how has he been harmful? What is, what is the specific argument that he's making that you disagree with? Is it that you think, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no. And I like, I think that's the thing. Cause like from listening to the podcast and everything like that, it doesn't sound like he was critical of vaccines. He was just, he was more critical of the response that we had towards everything as far as like our messaging and everything like that when it came to the idea of rolling out the ma- the, uh, the vaccines. And then it just like, everyone just saw that and just go, oh my God, this guy's anti-vaxxer. Like I saw another comment where the guy was like, oh yeah, let's listen to the guy who went to charter school talk about public health. And yeah, public- I saw a little bit I of like, that. I don't what? understand I don't understand the um, connection. Is the argument that the man's parents, like when he was 10 or whatever, (laughs) he should have put down his foot and been like, how dare you, mom and dad, send me to this charter school? Right. Like like the argument isn't even that he sends his kids to charter school. I don't know if he has kids, but like the argument isn't even that he sends his kids to charter school, which also wouldn't have a ton to do with the current conversation, though like we can have a separate conversation about that. But, but that when he was a child, he shouldn't have gone to the school his parents sent him to. Right. Like that, that it, 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 it was just so like mind boggling that that was the comment. Cause it was like, oh, so you're just trying to just, just discredit anything he says. And I realized that when it comes to liberals, it's like when they can't naturally debate you. And sometimes I wish you guys, so you, it takes a lot of patience to deal with these people. But if you guys could literally debate, like put them on and actually have them debate you guys, because they try to always make it seem like they're so much smarter than you and you're just a dumb and you're just a retarded person. And it's like, you know, if you actually did what they did and you actually had to debate your opinion, you would fall. The Honestly, the unmitigated gall of some people to think that they know more about COVID than an epidemiologist. It, it, it was just the arrogance of how they like try to dismantle anything he said or discredit the things that he was saying which wasn't most of your comments ain't even going back and forth about well, this is where he's wrong or this is where he's right it's the idea that you platformed him right which by the way the guy has like two hundred and fifty thousand of his own twitter <laughs> followers he goes on everybody bigger shows than mine willing to be body you know th- this by the way a premium episode which i was kind of I, I don't generally like like I just take interviews as they come. I don't have like some grand strategy of what's behind a paywall and what isn't. But occasionally I'm like, 
happy that it was a spicy conversation or I, I don't want to get dragged for something I said or I said something personal or intimate about myself. And this was one of those where I was like, oh, yeah, it's probably for the best that it's behind the paywall. Just in case, because <laughs> I, I know I'm not a COVID expert and it's possible that I've missed things. And I'm like, okay, the, the harm that I'm causing here has a limit because there's only, you know, however many few thousand people of you that are premium subscribers and actually watching it back there. And so, like, I don't know. I think that's a, a silly argument. But even more than this, those arguments being silly, I don't learn anything from the ad hominem. I, if there is a there there, I want to know. But I need you to tell me what I'm getting wrong. Mm-hmm. You screaming guy just shouldn't be platformed, all due respect, causes me to learn zero things. And it enables yeah. me to give... To, to change my pushback in zero ways the next time I'm in the situation and have this opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Clearly where you're wrong in these people's eyes is, like I said, you, uh, you are, you're platforming people or you're platforming anti-vaxxers. And his stance is not even anti-vax. This is the same thing that they did to Joe Rogan. Like, I, I, I hate to do it. Like, I hate to be like this, but like, there are legitimate criticisms you can make of somebody and Rogan has gotten things wrong and he's admitted that he's gotten things wrong and apologized for them. But like doing the whole like horse to warmer thing mm-hmm. hurt, the, hurt liberals. It did it hurt them. It hurt their credibility. It killed. You know? It hurt CNN. <laughs> so, so, so tell me, tell me like Dr. Pers- Dr. Prasad, I understood his argument was simply mm-hmm. that. As the risk of dying from COVID has come down, he doesn't deny that people still die from COVID. And maybe I should have pushed back on, on that more because it's true. Like, I really appreciate that Walker continues to ring the alarm bell on the fact that large numbers of people are still dying from this thing. Uh, yeah. This is a recent Walker Bragg beat 7.5 thousand COVID deaths in the first 16 days of the month. That's a lot of people. And I saw people around 9-11 tweeting about how we've had like a 9-11 worth of COVID deaths every week and it gets none of the same pop and circumstance. That's a very legitimate point. And there should be interventions to help keep keep that from happening. Mm-hmm. That's a separate question from whether or not some of the interventions that have been put into the play, into plays are calculated to prevent those deaths from happening. Deaths which are overwhelmingly concentrated in older groups of people, for instance. That's not to say that those lives don't matter. It doesn't mean, but, but quite the opposite, that we should be focusing our attention on how to keep vulnerable people safe instead of potentially mandating vaccines for 20 year old college kids potentially yep. now look if there's something specifically that is wrong like i saw somebody say well look the fact that the, the vaccine doesn't lower trans uh, sorry it doesn't eliminate transmission doesn't mean that it doesn't lower transmission mm-hmm. that is an excellent point please yeah. i would love you to tell me because i've been asking and looking around for this and it's very difficult to find numbers on this mm-hmm. does getting vaccinated lower transmission by two percent Ten percent, fifty percent, eighty percent, because the the answer to that question has huge public health implications. If it's true that the vaccine still has an impact on transmission, that is, let's say in the forty to fifty percent range, I would argue that maybe there is still a hook for getting people vaccinated or requiring people to get vaccinated in spaces like college campuses. Arguably, mm-hmm. right. Yep. But if it doesn't even do that much in the way of transmission, then yes, Dr. Prasad is right. We do have to consider now in a way that we didn't in the beginning when the risks were so high, what the risks were. So I'm not even sitting here saying myocarditis is like 
slaughtering young men across the country and it's like the worst public health scourge in America. No, but even if it's little, only a teeny tiny fraction of people that are hurt, if that harm is greater than the gains of the mass forced vaccination, then we have to have a conversation about the new cost benefits that exist. Yeah. I just think like, just, just say that, make the argument. If it is true, I don't, I don't have every fact at my disposal. If you have research that says the risk of getting, um, having long COVID and these negative effects of COVID are higher than the risks from the vaccine, mm-hmm. then great. People should still get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like there's, there's more factors than just that. There's like all the social factors and the costs and the pharma of it all. And there's the other things that go into it, but to not even be willing to like engage on that level, it, you, the, the other side's arguments are going to carry the day. Cause I'm literally not even hearing your arguments. All I'm hearing is that you're very mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very and, and you know, maybe you're right to be mad, but you're going to have to use your words and explain to me why I, I, I want to know. I'm really not doing this in bad faith. And I, I, I responded to a couple of people saying like, well, come on, the, come on the debrief later and tell me why this is wrong. And after the first answer I got was like, no, I don't, I shouldn't have to defend this. I'm like, okay, See? fine. Like, yeah. I don't... And that's, it's so, and honestly, that's just weak. It really is weak because it's like, you have this strong opinion. You have all this energy towards people who don't share the same opinion as you. What is so? What is the harm in telling telling you exactly? You're not you're not debating him. You're talking. He's talking. They're going to be talking to you about. Okay, where 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 could I have been better? Where could mm-hmm. I have pushed back more? Where was he wrong? Where's the studies and everything like that? And have an open exchange and dialogue. But I think the thing that I've noticed and um, there's a there's a comedian. He's He's not a person you really want to listen to when it comes to politics, but he did have a synopsis of the left that I think was very uh, accurate. His name's uh, Andrew Schultz. And um, he talks about, like, w- the things that the left do. It's like, when the left can't take away your ability to speak, or they can't shut you, oh, you know, yeah, can't take away your ability to speak, or re- uh, condemn you to a point where you'll feel pain or for, for your opinions and everything like that, they have to make you radioactive. So with mm. this, why you see them launched of, oh, you're racist if you such and such and such, or oh, 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 you're anti-vaxxer if you if you believe in such and such, and they the idea and the goal, or the new one that you, we're getting now is Putin puppet. So somehow, if you mm-hmm. have if you have any kind of criticism about the Ukraine war and all the money we're spending, you're a Putin puppet. And mm-hmm. what they do is they try to make you so radioactive to where that way nobody wants to engage and talk with you, and then get now where it's like. Oh, you have an your platforming uh right winger, so you shouldn't be taken serious and everything. It's like that is so hurtful to the left's base. And I don't think they realize how hurtful it is to them and why they're struggling getting the numbers that they're getting in, in, in elections and more importantly, winning just overall like uh debate in a public platform. Because mm-hmm. they're refusing to engage with anyone outside of calling someone a racist, a bigot, a Russian bot, uh grifter, uh you know all the names. You mm-hmm. got in call. So, yes, yeah. I'm all of those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you got like a Girl Scout badge or like, um, <laughs> you know, like there's race car drivers with their logos uh, all over from their endorsements. Like, yep. Uh huh. If I had that for every that I had been called, I I would look like the winner of the Grand Prix. <laughs> Have you ever had a white person ever call you anti-black? Are you kidding me? 
that's my bread and butter. Are you kidding me? That was my initial accomplishment all the day. Guys, you some of you some of you are just kind of coming to me, but you have to understand. Back in the back in the good old days when I was uh-huh. anonymous, and like, let me tell you, let me tell you about the the wars of 2015, 2016. Oh, okay. Some oh, of you look. whippersnappers are too young to remember we were out here in these Twitter streets supporting uh-huh. Bernie back in 2015, 2016. <laughs> Where people were, people were livid. This was back when, you know, I'm anonymous, right? So oh. I'm going to have a picture of myself as a black person, but like my name was not on the account. Yeah. And so I, I, people, white, why people tried to tell me everything about myself. Somebody <laughs> said, I think, was it Lewis Minch? One, one of these, one of these posters told me that if I had knew more black people, that oh. I wouldn't have the opinions that I had about oh, Bernie Sanders. And one woman, she had in her avatar a liberal, um, white, drinking white tears mug. Oh, my. And she herself was white. And she gave me a long lecture about how I just didn't know enough about black people or what they think. And that's what was so crazy. People used to try to tell me this. They were so delusional and caught up in their idea of who a Bernie supporter was and wasn't. Mm -hmm. My avatar, right there. It was right there. Black as night. (laughs) Like, clear as day. Like, just clearly a black human being. And they couldn't see it. It was so bad that when I wrote my first article for Current Affairs in 2017, mm-hmm. there was a Daily Coast article about it. It was about identity politics and weaponized identity, blah, 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 blah. And the, there was this long response that someone had written in the, in the magazine that said, Ooh. I would begin to credit this person's point of view if it weren't another screed from a white leftist. But I Googled them and I know that they are white. And therefore, this is just another rehashing of all that we've heard from the Jacobin left or whatever they were calling us at the time. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, this person not only misidentified me as white, they claim to have Googled me and confirmed that I'm white. Oh, my goodness. So if you're a white Brianna out there with the H in the middle of her name, (laughs) let me know. (laughs) Because I've never met one of you. And apparently there's a picture somewhere on the Internet. Of a white person attached to the name B R I H N A, and I, I want to know you and what your story is. <laughs> oh, my. and you know what? That's our fault, and I say that's our fault as black people because the fact a white person feels that comfortable talking down to a black person that shares a different opinion than them, it it it, it it's that's on us. Like, cause actually, I won't even say that's on us because a lot of this is on on social media, and I don't even know if they have black friends they think they have. That where they could just come, and, like I, honestly, I think they delude themselves. Like they may have, like you know, they think they're buddies with their coworker and everything mm-hmm. like that. And then you know they go into these black spaces and these black Twitter, you know, they are black Twitter mm-hmm. spaces. Hear the conversations and then they just regurgitate it to you back over them. It's almost like, yeah, I'm educated. Yeah, I'm woke. I remember one time in particular, I went to this uh, gathering in Baltimore, and um, it was a, it, it was in the uh, Mount Vernon area, so it's a very liberal liberal area of baltimore Mm -hmm. and uh this white woman just came up to me and she just felt the need to talk to me about her privilege and how she's trying so hard as a white person to just denounce her privilege and be on the side of that and when i tell you that was the most uncomfortable i think i've ever been in my goddamn life because it was like ma'am i don't even know you you just came up to me and started having a conversation i was like what is this what i'm the one black guy and you just have to dump your privilege whatever this is or to me to help me i'm like i've never but these are the cringy liberals that talk like this and i'm realizing i'm like you just reheard 
everything that like someone told you. You listen to some podcast with some black people, and then you're listening to us speak and everything like that. So then you go and you regurgitate it to your white friends, and then you get on social media. Then of course you you battle with the Trump people to get the cool points and the brownie points for us, so we can go and say, hey, you know what? You're invited to the cookout, and then I'm like, oh my god, that's great! I get to have you know yeah, this, this cookout <laughs> stuff has has got to stop. I got to say, it has look, to. It has and, I, and, I, and I will fully admit that at the time, the majority of black people did feel differently than I did about Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. I will, I freely concede that at the time. However, my existence means you have to make a case against Bernie Sanders that is substantive. You can't just say, oh, black people don't like Bernie Sanders because I promise you, you're looking at a black person who does. So you have to make <laughs> an argument. So that brings us back to what we're talking about here, which is that these people, like, all due respect, I'm interested, sincerely interested to hearing the counter arguments. I want to know what they are. I want to. I'm not running from them. I very much want to know because if I'm wrong, if Dr. Prasad is wrong, I want to know. But saying that talking with the man disqualifies us from having a conversation is not going to inform me or the con or, or the, the quality of the discussion. So. Mm -hmm. Look, I, I appreciate, yeah, it's <laughs> appreciate all good. you for calling Chris and allowing me to go on that whole frolicking detour. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Uh, yeah, uh, you have a good. Uh, you have a good night. Keep the faith. All right. <laughs> 401C, 401C. All right. Lysol, Liesel, what's your name? Unmute yourself and talk to us. Are you with us, Lysol? I mean, I'm obviously tempted just to pronounce it Lysol, like the cleaning solution, but I, I don't, you know, on the off chance that it's not that, I don't want to be the one that's been hollering Lysol as you get your, your situation to get how to unmute. Lysol, Lysol, Lysol going once, Lysol going twice. Lysol, I know this app sometimes gets a little buggy. I want to give you a shot. If you figure it out later, go ahead and get back online and I'll check at the end of the line. Okay. Um, but Ian, on time, no chat. How are you doing? What's on your mind? But I've been having a hot girl summer, not social distancing anymore. I'm sorry. Glorious. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Like, like this is anecdotal evidence too. Ryan has been out here living his best life with wearing any of those cute little matching sets. Like, I feel like all the kids are wearing the matching sets. No, no, I'm not a hoochie daddy person. I'm not a romper person. <laughs> I like to keep it pretty demure in these streets. I might have like an Aaliyah t-shirt on or something, but like, um, we've been, we've been outside. I do wear a mask in the subway, although okay. it's a cloth mask. Okay. I do wear a mask on the Uber. I did just get my BA4, BA5 booster today. Okay. So I'm not like completely getting stuff, mm -hmm. but... I'm sorry. Like, when you've lost New York City, it's a wrap. Like, mm -hmm. I understand people were, were, like, upset about the sign that said, you do you. And mm -hmm. that is kind of, like, not great to come from, like, the top of our state government or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, I've just been, like, looking around for weeks and weeks. And, like, the mass compliance, even when there was a mandate, is, like, was, like, 20%. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a wrap in New York City, which means, like, it's definitely a wrap in, like, Kentucky or whatever. So, like... Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I agree with everybody that's not wearing a mask anymore, but, like, mm -hmm. it is what it is. And, like, the pro-lockdown, zero-COVID mentality folks on the left, like, it's, it's, it's over. It's, it's, like, it's over. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, 
look, I, I really relate to that faction too. But like that was like me, you know, especially in the beginning when the facts were different and we didn't know if we could do it. We didn't know if we could pull off zero COVID. We didn't know if mm-hmm. we could stop the spread. We didn't know how infectious it was. We didn't know how good the vaccines were going to be. You know what? I think a lot of folks were really down for, down for the battle for mm-hmm. a period of time. Myself a, included. Yeah. I did not go to Fire Island 2020 or 2021. Mm-hmm. Sacrifices like, were made. <laughs> sacrifices were made. People were single. <laughs> Sexual pinners were down, down, down. <laughs> like, I, 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 was, I did my best. But then once I just saw that, like, people of all demographics, class statuses, like, I went to a sold-out Mary J. Blige concert. I'm mm. going to see Mariah on Saturday. Like... <gasps> The girls are outside. Like, the girls are outside. Like, it is. It is. Oh. <laughs> so. Wait, where are you going to see Mariah? Central Park. It's the Global Citizen Festival. So it's some neoliberal, like, charity bullshit. But, like, whatever. It's my queen. So I'll be a shit lib for, like, four hours. Oh, my God. DM me. Let's go. I th- might have an extra ticket. <laughs> so. Wait. Because like, I have some friends that I haven't seen in a really long time. I mean, there's several babies that exist now that didn't exist the last time I saw them. And they're all meeting up in New York next weekend. And I'm feeling a little bit of FOMO. Okay, okay. I'm actually going to crash your... your, your Brianna, <laughs> you and Crystal Ball are my best friends in my head. What are you talking about? I would, like, die and be honored if, like, you came to the concert with me. All right. So. I'll, I'll do my own... I'll do my, my own time. But, well, I didn't mean to cut you off, Brian. What, what, else, what, what else was in your mind? Well, I mean, okay. So, like, I think the other thing that is, like... Um, well, there's two things. Um, mm-hmm. One is that... Like, with BA4 and BA5, like, I'm sorry, zero COVID is not happening. And, like, I work in HIV, so I could, like, tone and talk a lot about the PrEP drug because, mm-hmm. like, I have a lot to say about that, but I'll stick to the topic. But even in HIV, like, our plan to, quote-unquote, end the epidemic in New York City was to have fewer than 750 infections um, a year in the city. Mm-hmm. So, like, even in HIV, like, we acknowledge that zero is not possible because humans are like humans and we're fallible. We make mistakes. We have oopsies. We have like carnal desires that like overtake like um, our head or whatever. And like if we acknowledge that we can't get to zero HIV, even Mm -hmm. though that's a harder um, virus to spread, Mm -hmm. then like zero COVID, especially with BA4, BA5, that's Mm -hmm. off the table. And a lot of these people online are that are talking that they're still on the table. I'm sorry. Let me let me choose my words so I'm not being Regina George. I feel like a lot of it is they just love being inside and like they want to feel righteous for being inside. And it's like I'm sorry baby, 95% of us are outside. It is what it is. Beyoncé said mask outside, but she still said we're outside. And that's what we're doing. <laughs> so Yeah. I mean, okay. So, I think the the best the good, best faith steel manning of the well, we'll call it the zero COVID point of view, even though they might object to that characterization, is by saying things like, we're not going to get to zero, does it in fact let the Biden administration off the hook for doing the things that it could do? So, for example, people are talking about how he just said, is COVID over? Obviously, that's why I titled the episode this way, even though he said that after we recorded. And, you know, people are saying that was no accident that he said COVID is over. It's because uh, it's coming along with him rolling back uh, all the purchases of the vaccine for free and, you know, some of the free booster campaigns and all of the stuff that we did get. It wasn't what we should have got. It wasn't the full extent of what they should have been doing this whole time. But to the extent that the government was picking up the bill for some of this stuff, that they're basically like, 
hands off. And that also was going to translate to some of these other things that they never really did, like the HVAC systems and all of this stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? So it is mm-hmm. adopting a, oh, we're never going to get it there anyway, rhetoric, basically absolving the administration of responsibility to do what it could do. Yeah. So I'm going to try to be as clear as possible because I do feel like sometimes people like talk in circles and like the gaps. are. So I support like holding the administration accountable to making like, well, obviously Medicare for all, but at least making all COVID tests, masks, PPE free, like having like a reconciliation package that has like money for HVACs or whatever, all that stuff. Like I'm not here for like trying to force people back to the office if they don't want to, especially Mm -hmm. myself. I'm not going back. I will be looking (laughs) for a new job. Kiss my ass, Eric Adams. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but the problem is, is that a lot of the people, they, those people, they do still have a zero COVID mindset. And a lot of them, I'm sorry, they're hypocritical. They're very hypocritical. Like somebody, I like Dr. Stephen Fasher, but somebody did a this you to him where like they caught a picture of him in an indoor restaurant taking pictures with some of his friends. Mm-hmm. And last year I went to a Medicare for all March um, with Walker Bragman. Granted, we were outside, but it was 300 of us, less than six feet apart. His mask was off when he was giving the speech. The mask was off. So, like, I don't know. I think that people are just, like, not here for, like, the holier-than-thou bullshit, especially when people are talking the talk and not walking the walk, and they're getting caught in 4K. (laughs) So. (laughs) 4K. Yeah, look, I mean, yes. And, uh, look, of of course it's true that, like, even if you, let's say, take a calculated risk by taking your mask off while you speak at an event, you know, it's not like people are speaking at events every day and you can say that that was a legitimate calculated risk that doesn't really undermine your broader feelings that people should mask as much as possible and you know is it are we buying into this all or nothing approach when we say oh you ate inside one time or you went to this one you went you went to your daughter's wedding so now you don't get to have an opinion on uh whether or not people should mask you know like how how far are we willing to take that because I both feel, like, I know that, like I just said, I just confessed to a whole bunch of stuff that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. I've been raw, raw dogging the gym air late at night. I raw dog the National Picture Portrait Gallery. Like, I've been, <laughs> I have been COVID huffing air all over the place, but in ways, places and in, in situations that I feel like are calculated risk. And I still do remember to ask when it's time. And if it, if at the end of the day I'm wearing a mask when I am in that elevator with the person with COVID... When it counts, you know, isn't that better than nothing? But the problem, yes. I mean, like I, like I said, I still mask and like Ubers and stuff just as like a courtesy or whatever. But the problem is, is that they're doing the same thing on the other side where they're trying to shame people for having a different opinion. And they're like, oh, you don't care about lives. You don't care about the pandemic. You don't care about disabled people, bah, bah, bah. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. and I, I don't mean like Dr. Thrasher or Walker in particular. I just mean like mm. a lot of people in like that cohort of like that mentality and like that ideology on the left. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's it's ugh. This this one's this one's a toughie. I'm glad I finally am getting into this a little bit. Um cuz I do think like many topics that we tackle here on bad faith, it's one that could really benefit from someone defining a I don't want to say middle road because that sounds a little too third way, but that is able to marshal mm-hmm. all of the good points from all of the sides and make it clear that two things can be true at once and that it's not the necessarily the all or white black, uh, all or nothing black or white um, uh, paths that exist up until now on the internet. 
Like I know that I don't agree. Like I don't agree. I don't agree with. I don't agree with Robbie. But mm-hmm. you know, I think that he is. He is right to point to the inconsistencies around masking paradigms in schools, but not restaurants. Mm-hmm. To to have to want to have a conversation about the negative effects of school closures. I will say that I just um, had an outdoor cocktail <laughs> with a bunch of teachers. And I was I was asking them how they feel about all of this. They're high school teachers, and they were very much anti schools being closed. They were mm. like, having to teach remotely was hell, and they hated it. Mm-hmm. The kids didn't pay attention; and they didn't learn, and everyone felt like they were wasting their time. Mm-hmm. And some people also expressed some frustration around regular testing because they felt like. They're so afraid of testing positive because of what it meant to be out of class for so long. Mm-hmm. And the professional implications, like the, the implications for the pedagogy, for their classrooms, for them to be out that long. It was like there is this weird um, almost desire to, like, to not know. Because at least if you don't know, then you don't have to stay home and miss like a week and a half of a school year. Yeah, that's super real. Like, I do background acting on the side now to, like, make Mm. some extra coin. And um, they still have a protocol where you have to get tested um, Mm -hmm. 24 hours to 48 hours before. And they'll give you a stipend of, like, $50. But if you test positive, you can't actually go to, like, the set the day. So you Mm -hmm. actually miss on, like... Like, the real salary is, like, the day you're actually working, which is, like, $200. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. that's real. And I, I guess that's kind of a case for, like, I used to be more team jobs guarantee because, like, I was more team Bernie than team Andrew Yang. But mm-hmm. I do see situations in where people just need money mm-hmm. and not, like, uh, the pressure to work for that money. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's super real, too. Um, although, like, oh, I just want to say a couple of other things. Like, the other thing about, like, the folks that are, like, very, like, scoldy about it. Um, mm-hmm. they, they want, like, a mandate, but they don't really want a mandate because they don't want, like... And I don't like police, so, like, I'm not saying I like the police, but they don't want anybody in power to, like, actually enforce the mandate. Like, they don't want anybody to, like, get tickets or get arrested on the subway. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's not a mandate, boo. That's a guideline. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it almost feels like what, what people really want is not a mandate, but they want the social backing... Like, it, it does feel like when, when Holchul or whatever puts the signs out in New York that say, you know, do you, you know, mask if you don't, if you want, don't mask if you don't want. What it feels like is, as a liberal or a leftist, you're losing the authority, like the appeal to authority, like the backing that you're the one on the right. And it's less about the actual enforcement and more about feeling like you're the one with the upper hand. Because I do feel like that there's been a shift where... You know, if I get into the Uber now, I'm often told, well, you can just take that mask off. And it almost feels social pressure to not mask. And it's fine. Like, I'm a big girl. I can withstand the social pressure and do what I want to do. But I, I, I do think that some of the desire for the mandate was that it's a desire for society to validate one's own choice more than anything else. Yeah. I guess just because, like, I know, like, the girlies and gays I hang out with, like, none of us voted for Donald Trump. A lot of us were, like, progressives and Bernie people. Some were Warren people. Cringe. But, like, whatever. It is what it is. Um, and, like, 
The MTA sign, which I, I agree was like not best practice, but like that came after me and the girlies were outside all summer. Like we mm-hmm. already, we already were like, oh no, we're going to the club. Oh mm-hmm. no, we're going, we're going to the concert. Oh no, we're going to the bar. Oh no, we're doing late night diner. Like, cause we're drunk. Mm-hmm. Like it is, mm-hmm. it is what it is. So I don't, I don't, I do feel like in this instance, I don't know which of your panel said this, but that the government followed the trend of the people that just are burnt out and like burnout, mental health, social isolation, those things kill people too. I don't know why like we're talking as if like COVID is the only thing that can like limit someone's life. And like, Mm -hmm. in terms of like the disability community, like, well, first of all, if, if a vaccine can't even protect disabled people that have like secondary conditions then there shouldn't be a mandate for the vaccine because you're you're kind of showing that it's not that effective and also the disability community is not a monolith like i have an aunt um who's like literally on a bipap machine like she cannot breathe Mm. on her own Mm. her her husband like unfortunately passed away so my uncle passed away like last november Mm. and i was like are we gonna have a service and like everybody in my family like i'm adopted so like 80 percent of them are like italian stallions they're like what you mean of course and we're having a repass after so like Mm. she went to the repass with like 200 people no masks everybody eating chicken parm and stuff Mm. and like so i'm just saying that like not everybody who's disabled is also down for like um being locked down either and like if you are somebody who, like, you're so um, immunocompromised that you couldn't, you can't really be outside, then I support, I support you getting, like, robust Social Security disability, A, B, C, and D, fully, mm-hmm. like, funded by all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, money for, like, Instacart to deliver stuff, money for mm-hmm. a home attendant, whatever. But I don't think that, like, me, you, and let's be real, the vast, vast majority of people are bad people who don't care about disability, people with disabilities, because we want a life. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah, it is. It is. This is the, I think you're right. Like, this is another one of those all or nothing things. The, the, I think people like, oh, look, there are people who are like full on anti-vaxxers, obviously. But mm-hmm. people like Dr. Prasad, what they're saying is they're asking whether or not the interventions we have are actually tailored to protect the communities that we say that they're supposed to protect. That's it. That's the only question. Are these things actually tailored to do what we want them to do, or are they just symbolic things that made us feel good, like telling people to tie bandanas to their face with scrunchies? Mm-hmm. You know, which is it? And also, I want to be clear, even the bandana with on the face with the scrunchie, you know, help like 50% transmission. So, like, I don't want that to get lost in the conversation as well, but it is a, it is a hard conversation, and I, I think it's probably worth having uh, the next COVID episode, whenever that is, have someone specifically from the disability community to talk about what it is that is actually being asked for and for how long, you know, cause is it, you know, mask, if you go into a hospital or wherever vulnerable people are, is it, you know, mask in stores, mm-hmm. you know, okay. Is it, you know, just keep restaurants and schools shut down. You know, like, what is it? Because some of those things I think people would be comfortable with. You know, if I own a shop and I uh, am immunocompromised and I put a sign on my door that says, please mask, I think that's perfectly legitimate. Lots of stores still have signs that ask if you wouldn't mind masking. And I, I never mind. And I'm happy to put on my mask. And that's one thing. But these kind of broad shutdowns, you know, I, it's, it does feel weird to me that there is an unwillingness to acknowledge that particularly school closures might have some downstream effects that negatively affect lots of folks, including people with disabilities. So 
I appreciate you calling in, Brian, and I may or may not see you next weekend in Central Park. Oh, my God. I would get my life. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for taking my call. Have a good yeah, night. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Keep the faith. Let me go back, and I'm going to bring you up, Lysol, and while you're um, uh, unmuting, I'm, I just noticed that Ross Barkin, recent guest, just published an article in The Intelligencer called Biden is Right to Declare the Pandemic is Over. Woo! He's demanding some heat. I'm going to skip ahead a few paragraphs and just read a little bit, if you don't mind here, Lysol. Oh, you're putting the kids totally. to bed. Do you want me to go first? No, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. No, yeah, go ahead. Okay. He says, <clears throat> the argument against Biden is compelling. Technically, of course, the pandemic is not over. More than 400 people still die daily of COVID in the U.S. The virus has not in any way vanished. Most Americans have either had COVID, know someone who has been sick, or know someone who has died in the past two years. And although the majority of the population is vaccinated and new variant-specific boosters are available, there is always the danger the virus changes again. Peter Hotez, a vaccine scientist, warned of a major variant coming this winter. And Biden's responsibilities haven't ended. The federal government must, must take a much more active role in the latest booster campaign and ensure that elderly and immunocompromised receive, as quickly as possible, updated shots. America's death toll has been correlated almost exclusively to senior citizens and those with pre-existing health conditions. Younger, healthier people can certainly keep getting vaccinated, but the money and time must be expanded on, uh, expended on those who need the most protection. If the federal government fails in coordination with states to convince these populations to get vaccinated, he deserves serious censure. But on the facts and politics of the pandemic, and yes, both matter, Biden is absolutely right. The pandemic will end because all pandemics end. They wind down. The virus becomes <laughs> endemic. Biden's definition of the pandemic is political, even psychological, and it's the common sense millions uh, across the world now follow. The segment of the public health community and pundit class most enraged at Biden ignores the obvious science behind COVID-19, particularly the latest variant BA5. Mitigations against the variant work less well than they would have in 2020, since it spreads far more easily than prior versions of the virus. Your level of vaccination does not matter either, in the sense that breakthrough is inordinately common with BA5, and the vaccinated can spread the virus as easily as the unvaccinated. New York City, with an adult vaccination rate approximately uh, uh, approaching 90%, has been home to Omicron and BA5 waves. Vaccination still safeguards you from severe illness and death. It does not, however, hold the magic key to making COVID disappear. Nothing does. And it goes on and on for about four more <laughs> paragraphs. But, you know, it, it's hard to argue with. What do you, what do you make of that, uh, Lysol? How do you pronounce your name? It's Lysol, yeah. Lysol. How do you, okay, what do you make of that? Um, so I was actually kind of primed to go off on Dr. Prasad, if that's a, if that's okay. Oh, go, go off, go off. Okay. Thing. So, um, a couple of things he said, and it was one of those things where it's like, you know, you can clearly see when somebody shares your values and it becomes that much more frustrating when they come to a completely opposite conclusion. <sighs> so he was totally right about people like Walensky, that the people who get elevated to the top of the CDC, that's pretty much prerequisite at this point. You have to be able to toe the line and whatever Delta says goes and that type of stuff. Mm. Um, UCSF is pretty similar um looks like they raised 569 million dollars in the fiscal year 2021 uh most of it comes from billionaires i live in san francisco and pretty much everything here is funded by billionaires because they're the only people left mm. and uh one of the people who uh is a lifetime director of that foundation is william obendorf he's the guy behind the chess of boudin recall and the sf mm. recall mm. so what i'm saying is i think there's a little bit of manufacturing consent going um Places like the New York Times and Washington Post love to find somebody at, you know, like one of like the elite liberties, like professional schools, as many degrees as possible. Listen to this person. But there's pressure on those to take a certain, you know, side. 
And so I think, yeah, I mean, he, he people were blasting him because earlier this week he said the vaccine, uh, the pandemic is over, which was basically the same message as Hotchell's uh, do you. And then mm-hmm. two days later in 60 minutes, Biden says the exact same thing. So it feels mm-hmm. kind of like, OK, we're on message. I, mm. I don't know. My faith in them following the science was much stronger when they had a Trump to push back against. Mm-hmm. Do you remember in the in the primaries where Kamala said, "No, I wouldn't take a, I wouldn't I wouldn't support a vaccine mandate if it came from Trump." Mm-hmm. Like they were ready to take like literally whatever the opposite of what Donald Trump said. And it's um, it's funny because if you look around, like what would Donald Trump criticize about Biden's response right now? He's doing literally the minimum. Mm. I mean, it kind of feels like let her rip under a different circumstance. So so tell me then, like, I, I'm completely open to the idea that there is um, a, a vested interest by corporatists and everything going back to normal and everything being open. And I've, I've made this argument to Robbie on the show that, you know, it is completely, it, to me, it raises suspicions. Walker made this argument on bad faith that there are all of these um, moneyed interests behind the open everything back up message. But what I said to Robbie on the show at the same time is, of course, it is possible that your interests might just happen to align with the interests of these corporatists sometimes in some cases versus other cases. If you're a parent who doesn't get time off and wants their kid to go back to school and who's concerned about learning delays and all this stuff, you know, it might be true that you sincerely want this even though there's a moneyed interest behind it. So do you have a substantive case against some of the things that Dr. Prasad said? Um, I mean... So, so for me, long COVID is the actual pandemic. It's a lot easier to pay attention to the acute, the acute phase and the death counts. But the idea that, you know, I'm sure Walker, me and Walker pretty much 100% on that, he would say, you know, we're dealing with now dozens of millions of people in America with long COVID. Uh, the workforce is down two to four million people because people can't work because they have long COVID. There was actually a protest today at the White House. They got zero coverage uh, from a uh, campaign called Millions Missing. It's from the MEFCS, or sorry, MECFS community, which is really kind of bonded with the long COVID community in terms of like that. Hey, over here, um, the doctors don't believe what we have is real and we get zero support and we're literally depending on each other for our own research. Mm. And um, it's, I mean, we're dealing with tens of millions now. If we keep going, it's, say it's, they said 20% chance people get long COVID, you know, that's, you know, roughly r- Russian roulette odds. That means by 2024, there could be somewhere around 30 million voters with so long COVID. Sounds, I, I have, again, no dog in this fight, but that those numbers sound considerably higher than what I remember Dr. Prasad saying. Um, because, you know, the long COVID is correlated with people who are hospitalized and have, you know, really bad cases. And obviously that represents a much smaller fraction of people who get COVID than 20%. So do, do you have... I mean, what, what do you make of that? Do you, you, do, do you believe that 20% of people who get COVID, which is almost everybody now, has long COVID? And is there any differentiation in terms of, like, people have long COVID, but then they recover? Some people have long COVID, but haven't recovered? And severities of symptoms with long COVID? I mean, how do you parse all of that? They do have uh, they do have kind of like a rough designation between the people that are basically house and bed bound and the people that are functioning mm-hmm. through the mm-hmm. fact that they haven't had a, they haven't had the sense of smell in eighteen months that type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I mean even even you take the low estimates like five percent I think the CDC actually came out and said twenty percent at one point but it was after the Ukraine had started so it didn't get as much coverage because it wasn't you know officially what everybody was talking about. It's I mean even then it's, it's 5% of the population, um, 
it's, you know, I don't know, we come up with thresholds and it's interesting that people keep coming to like, well, how long are we going to have to do it? And like taking that into the equation, it feels kind of like, I don't know, from my perspective, COVID is kind of a, a beast that we refuse to actually put the effort into defeating. And it's, you know, it's going to be like a, a lingering infection until we actually take it seriously. And hopefully that doesn't come this winter because people aren't getting boosted. And if you only got your shots in 2021, you're not going to be covered in December. Mm-hmm. And if you get COVID in January, you're going to have to pay for the vaccine and any other coverage you get because tests aren't going to be free anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a huge one. Let me I just pulled up this article from yesterday on long COVID in uh, where is this uh, Daily Beast? And they corroborate your 21 number. They say as many as at 28% number. They say as many as 21% of Americans who caught uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus this summer ended up suffering from long COVID starting four weeks after infection. Oh, it starts to delay. That's interesting. According to a new study from City University of New York, that's up from 19% um, from an earlier study. Compare these numbers to recent rates of death and hospitalization from COVID in the U.S., 3% and 0.3% respectively. Long COVID is by far the likeliest serious outcome from any novel coronavirus infection. Um, the CUNY study, which is not yet peer-reviewed, focused on American adults, but the results have implications for the whole world. Blah, 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 blah. Despite an increased level of protection against long COVID from vaccination, it may be that the total number of people with long COVID in the U.S. is increasing, epidemiologist Dennis, Dennis Nash, the CUNY study's lead author, told the Daily Beast. That is, every day, more people catch long COVID than recover from long COVID. But understanding long COVID, to say nothing of preventing it, isn't a priority in the global epidemiological establishment. That needs to change, Nash said. I believe it's long past time to be focusing on long COVID in addition to preventing hospitalizations and deaths. Yeah, I mean, I do think that long COVID is the, is the best case. I mean, that's the best case. What's frustrating is that there's all of this mixed messaging around is it just like ladies being crazy, like restless leg syndrome, and it's just their anxiety. And, you know, even myself. The doctor said that. He, he said most, he said a lot of the people that are, say they have long COVID have an anxiety disorder. Yeah. Uh, specifically after he agreed with you about how men, women and other, you know, other minorities get minimized in terms of their health care. He went on to say the exact same thing about long COVID. And he's got this kind of, I don't really believe it exists. Actually, one of his co- colleagues, Dr. Bob Walker. His mm-hmm. wife got COVID and had long COVID for months. Mm-hmm. And he posted all these really ridiculous posts where he was like, my eyes are open, but at the end he's like, but I'm not going to change my behavior. And it's yeah, like, there is it's, a, I mean, there's a, I, I personally feel, I will say stigma to even acknowledging long COVID in the context of like the Hill. We had a guest a couple of weeks ago who was a doctor and an expert. Actually, I meant to have him on bad feet. I'll follow up with him um, about long COVID specifically and like nobody clicked on it and nobody seemed to be that interested in him. And, you know, Robbie didn't like rebut him because how can you really like he's a doctor. He's got studies. We don't got studies. <laughs> but there was this kind of like, you know, eye roll feeling, I think, from the audience, generally speaking, that this no one could prove that this was real. And I said I said this to Dr. Prasad, too. I have felt. You know, I have felt guilt about feeling that I might've had some vaccine side effect, right? Because I'm not a young man and like, it's not supposed to happen to me. And am I being paranoid and am I just being, you know, and then also guilt about, you know, my, my running times are not what they were before I got COVID. Is it because I took a month off of running and I'm out of shape? Possibly. Is it because I'm just getting older? Possibly. 
or is it something else? I don't know, but I am, I feel uncomfortable even saying it out loud because, you know, maybe it's just a big nothing burger and I'm just a hypochondriac and just another one of these women who's womening all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me personally, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I got COVID um, in on July 1st after managing to evade it the entire time. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly just like I kind of make the, the cost benefit analysis of like is like what I'm doing, like, you know, filling my soul in a sense, like my playing music with my band for the first time in 18 months, you know, my like performing in a drag show and being in front of an audience, which is kind of like, you know, the stuff I feel is worth taking the risk. I take the risk for that stuff. And I specifically mm-hmm. back off from kind of casual social things. I'm like, is, you know, was it worth possibly getting COVID? You know, like the show that we did in August, that was definitely worth it. If I got COVID, I'm like, well, I'm still glad I did the show. Yeah. But there's just like a whole category of stuff that just doesn't fall under that category anymore. Yeah, I will say I'm reading this article and it says that, you know, we're catching the virus over and over again is going to raise your chances of long COVID. It compounds. Yeah. And what was interesting was that Dr. Prasad was like, what are you going to do? Take 20 shots that compounds your risks of vaccine related injury. And who else knows what's going on with these vaccines? But like, what am I going to do? Catch COVID 20 times? <laughs> like both of these things are a problem. So I like, I really hear Dr. Prasad when he says you need to force them to do more t- studies on what the effects of these vaccines are on humans. And I think that's perfectly true and obviously true. I would love to know, but I want to know because I want to have some insurances that I can actually go ahead and get all these boosters because it seems obvious to me that the thing that we can test for and we can say, you know, if it's safe, I want to do it because it's much more, that's much preferable. How to... much is a booster going to cost next year? Who's going to want to pay for $50, $100 for a booster? It's already kind of, I had to make a doctor's appointment and give myself a day off. Yeah. Now it's cost me money too. Yeah. That, it, that, that, everyone just kind of letting that slide and there not being any uproar about it is deeply frustrating. Especially, and I said this to Robbie a million times in the show. You hate Biden. Like, the right hates Biden. Great. Let's do something constructive with that and pressure him to not take away your free vaccines. Like, I understand that you don't want a vaccine mandate, but don't let him off the hook for actually helping you pay for the thing that could save your life. Well, they're also, I mean, I, I, so I don't watch Risings. So I don't know if they make this case specifically, but I'm sure I've heard a lot of the, well, he wants to have it two ways. This is the pandemic's over, but he won't give, give up any of his emergency authorizations. They're saying, oh, it's just a power grab by money-hungry liberals. They don't even believe COVID's over. Nobody believes COVID's over. But he still wants to tell you what to do. And it's, it's pretty compelling because what Biden say. It's like, well, yeah, I can't, and I can't actually say it's not an emergency anymore because that would kill the health response, what's left mm-hmm. anyway. But, and you not know. to mention the student debt implications potentially. And I know that Sparky offered a counterpoint, and I you know, always want to hear what Sparky has to say and admire him greatly. But you know, we had the guest a, couple, you know, a week or so ago who is making the case that they're using um, the hook for the executive action on student debt requires it to be a state of emergency. It's a, it's the HEROES Act. It's a 9-11 Act. And if Biden's out here saying COVID is over, can he then claim to have the COVID-related authority to cancel student debt? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm firmly in the pandemic isn't over. Also, about the, the myocarditis, the your risk of getting that from getting COVID is roughly equal to your risk of getting it from the vaccine, even among the most high, you know, even among like the, the teens 18 to 24, which I think were the most. See, I likely. thought that wasn't true. I thought there was actually um, on that age group, the study said, uh, let's see if we can find it. 
that 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 was actually like a big win for the kind of I don't want to call them anti-vax, but fewer vax, <laughs> less vax um, camp. That the study had come out that showed it, that it was actually more harm from the vaccine from that age group than COVID. Hmm. I mean, I think it was close. It was like close to 50-50, but that it came out slightly in favor of not getting the vaccine. But yeah. here, let me see um, if I can do a quick Google. Also, you and I are now three times more likely to get diabetes. Because we got COVID? Yep. Yeah. It's I just, mean, that's the, the long but, COVID yeah. too scary to deal with in a way that the but Democrats feel they've been, so they won't deal that's with not it. A, but that's not a long COVID implication. That's a you got COVID implication. So unless yeah. you're saying you're going to do a zero COVID thing, which maybe that is what you're saying. But no, I, mean, I, I meet people halfway. Literally all I want is people to wear masks indoors in places with, where they're around people they don't know so that my friends who have chronic fatigue syndrome can actually leave the house for the first time in two years. So you want I, – I, I missed a little bit of that there. You want people to wear masks outside of the house? I mean, I'd settle for public transit. Uh, San Francisco had mask mandates until the um, until the, the the Trump judge in Florida struck him down. Now they say masks recommended or masks advised, and they say thank you for wearing a mask. But before they say masks are mandated, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I mean, it's it's my commute. But most of the trains in San Francisco are for a working city through a rich place to another part of the working working class, and I'm going, you know, like eight thirty in the morning, five o'clock at night. And it went from probably like 95% people actually like wearing masks in the winter to, I'd say, about like 50% now. So what do you make of the one-way masking argument? Um, people who believe in quote-unquote zero COVID feel so stigmatized that they uh, bend over backwards to try to seem reasonable. Kind of a general progressive thing, you know? So, I'm, so do you... I'm not like fishing here. I'm genuinely asking. Do you think that there should be mask mandates on public transportation? Absolutely, yeah. I I think places where people are in public and and, and tight and tight um, tight quarters, it's you know, it's a courtesy thing. It's a piece of fabric for a small small period of time. You know. Yeah, I mean, I I know that I personally feel more comfortable when there's masking in public transportation. I don't know that they can do them. Like, I don't know. Is there a world where they don't do mandates, but they still say, you know, we thank you for masking. Are we advised masking? You know, there's a stack of free masks at the door. My feel, and I don't have a specific study or link on this, is that people grumbled and did what they were told to do. Americans are kind of like that. You know, there were lots of people that made TikTok and YouTube for tests and stuff and like, you know, those outlier cases and stuff. But I mean, just in, in San Francisco, everybody wore masks. There'd be like one guy who would come on with like a, like a good stupid grin on his face and stuff. But, you know, other than that, it was, you know, I mean, that's like the percentage of Republicans in the city. So you're going to get one or two of those. Yeah. Well, but, look, let me, let me corroborate. I, here's an article from, I don't know, something called Newsroom. Yeah. I think it was the American Heart Association. Uh, website or something. A myocarditis risk significantly higher after COVID-19 infection versus after a COVID-19 vaccine. So that corroborates your point of view. I definitely, there definitely was a whole wave of people online excited about the fact, you know, from kind of, sorry, for lack of a better word, anti-vax people who were excited about the fact that a study had come out a couple of weeks ago that showed that for the specific age group, they were better off not getting vaccine 
vaccinated with respect to the myocarditis issue, only the myocarditis issue. I'm having trouble seeing it now. So if someone knows what I'm referring to, let me know. And if I'm making it up, please ignore me. And uh, I'm a misinformationer. Hmm. But, yeah, go ahead. Oh, just from a from a macro perspective, it, until we actually decide to vaccinate Africa, literally nothing else we do matters. Where, you know, how many times the virus gets a chance to replicate is why the variants keep getting crazier and crazier. And another thing about Omicron, people, there's a difference between the intrinsic uh, severity and the observed. And one of the reasons why Omicron seem milder is more people who are getting or people who are vaccinated. And it does protect against serious illness and death. The percentage of people that were getting COVID and it was like, oh, I felt sick for two days, but now I'm fine. That was the fourth, fourth or fifth wave. So all the people most vulnerable to COVID had already died. So, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Look, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for calling in. I'm glad we were able to get you up here. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. You too. Have a good night. Keep the faith. All <laughs> right. Vin, you are up. Vin, Vin. Hey, thank you. So, Vin, Vin yeah, thank you so much uh, for having me. I'm one of those angry internet people, so this should be fun. Um, All right, let's but, go. But, but, I won't. I won't be calling you. I'm. I'm not angry in the sense of the, like the people in your comments, and I'm not angry at you. I'm actually coming at it from a different angle. But mm-hmm. I won't be called a merchant of death, which is one of my favorite comments that I saw <laughs> under your tweet, which is kind of wild. That one. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think somebody called you racist as well, which is like, damn, man, like, what, what are we doing? Wait, how a did white I do person that? Calling you racist. I Wait, but who am I racist against? Racist. I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to know. I'd love to know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I wanted to actually call in last time, but I think the queue was way too long when you had a COVID episode. But mm. um, I've been really pissed off about the left and its response to COVID. So that's the angle I'm coming at it from. Mm. And I'm glad and I commend you for having these conversations, even though, with all due respect, I think it's like over a year late. But it's good that you're having it because you're one of the only people who actually are willing to discuss these topics. Um, the reason I say that is, okay, I, I live, like I spend a lot of time both in Canada and the US. And Canada is pretty much like if, like Berkeley's, uh, <laughs> Berkeley's like COVID uh, mandates and restrictions, uh, but in, for the entire country or like 90% of the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also, um, uh, live in, uh, spend a lot of time in, in Houston as well. But um, I got COVID very early, I want to say March or April of 2020. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, got through it, whatever, it was fine. I spent some time and I saw the lockdowns coming and I I didn't want to deal with it. So I spent a lot of time here, but I actually, uh, funny enough, my friends always kill me for this. I escaped to Africa. I went to Somalia and spent a lot of the lockdown time there. And I got a good perspective, but that's just a personal thing. But mm. um, I've been upset about the way, the way the left has been discussing COVID. Not just for, and I, I, I'm sorry, it's not liberals. It's leftists, socialists, damn socialists as well. It's, it's a lot of those people. The problem is, I was trying to figure out why are these people not looking at the the damages of the covid policies have on poor people that that was like my main thing i'm looking at and i'm i'm an immigrant i come from that background all this kind of stuff and i have those sensibilities in terms of what people are going through like i i know people who let's say who suffered from school closures when they're a single parent and they have five kids in the household 
and they have a job where they can't work at home mm-hmm. and school is the one place where their kids can be where they know they're safe but then they got kids now at home and they can't supervise them they got to sacrifice going to work and it's just in it's people are we're going under incredibly tough decisions because of these policies which retrospect all i was asking was can we just look and see if these uh measures i call they're kind of widely pharmaceutical inter- interventions do they actually work like do lockdowns actually work and slow the spread of covid i mean we mm-hmm. know the answer now is no and i understand the beginning okay we don't you know we don't know what's going on and i was totally sympathetic to that but my problem with the left is there was no honest discussion in terms of looking at data like why can't we have a debate on masks okay masks the, the, there's uh, I, I have a statistics background there's so many studies on masks they fall on both sides of the null hypothesis a major rule in statistics is if you have that when you do a multivariate analysis you look at all sides of um, all, multiple studies and they fall on both sides you cannot conclude that masks work in the way that you do so there was a major study for example out of Bangladesh last year where cloth masks were literally two to three percent effective basically non-effective we had certain and i'll link the this study this is like one mm-hmm. of the biggest studies on masks 600 villages in bangladesh and the reason why these studies i, I look at randomized controlled trials the, dr prasad loves to talk about those as well and i enjoyed the episode but um you actually have to look at how humans actually behave with these measures like you, it's one thing to talk about masks but how do humans actually behave so you look at randomized controls. The, 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 the surgical mask was less than 10% effective, okay? And, but these are things that we weren't allowed to discuss. I just wanted to talk about these things. And I was called, uh, you know, a Nazi a death merchant, all this kind of stuff, the same thing. And, but I don't have a platform. I'm just talking about personal people I know. So my thing mm-hmm. was, why, like, where is this coming from where the left doesn't want to have these conversations? And I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's because all the... The thing I came to, and I mean this in no disrespect to anybody, any talking heads, is a lot of these people are just detached from how poor people or actual people live, like that don't have cushy work at home jobs. Like they, they, they're not in tune to how those people are feeling. They're not in tune to the, or, or what they're going through. They're not in tune to like that single parent that I was telling you about, for example. They're not in tune to the thousands of kids who have dropped out of our school system now because we did online learning. When the rest of the world, Scandinavia, leftists love to talk about Scandinavia, and they didn't do that. They, they had schools open for most of the time. Sweden never locked down, actually. Never had school closures. I actually spent time in Sweden. It's like COVID didn't exist. It was a shock. People wore masks here and there, but it was like, so it's like, we never looked at, we just never looked at what the rest of the world was doing. And I know the common refrain is, well, they have universal healthcare. I I live in Canada. Well, part of the time, I live a lot of time. It's been a lot of time in Canada. They have universal healthcare there too, but they still had these same policies where they were locking everything down. So my thing is like, we there was never a critical eye in terms of, Okay, do these policies make sense? I get there's fear. Like there was actually an expose in the Ottawa Citizen in Canada where the the government used the military to use propaganda. And I'm, this is real. They used military propaganda that they use in the Afghanistan war to scare the population into, you know, 
going following these mandates. And I understand that, okay, in the beginning, we don't know what's going on. But my thing is where I just want some sort of critical analysis and not to be shut down and all this kind of stuff. It's easy when you have a cushy stay at home job mm-hmm. where these things don't matter to you. But real people suffered like hell. 500 million people back into poverty from lockdown policies in countries like India, Bangladesh, in certain communities in Africa. They had lockdowns for a month in the village I was staying with in Somalia. And then the people just said, what the fuck are we doing? This makes no sense at all. We people die of things every single day and they stopped. But like, think about the effects of lockdowns on people who have to go outside to literally make their money to eat that day. And we're mm-hmm. sitting in our apartments saying, yelling at people who are bringing our food and yelling at them for not wearing a mask. Like, I was really, I've just been disgusted. And I'm like, I don't even want to hear from left commentators until they have this discussion. Like, I'll listen to you because you're having this discussion. I really respect that. But so many of them don't want to have the discussion. They want to call you a merchant of death and all this kind of stuff. And I'm ranting, but I don't know. What do you think about what I'm saying? Like, um, Yeah, that has been... So I think you're I think you're right that we all we all were hurt by not having this conversation. And I do think I, I will I mean I'll speak for myself. Earlier, it honestly felt like I, the the risks were too high and I didn't want that smoke. I'm gonna be really honest about it. I did not want to talk about COVID because I, totally I didn't understand. want that smoke. Yeah. And moreover, there's a world where I you know, it, it's not necess- It's not just being risk averse because y'all know that I'm not risk averse, and I've talked about a number of spicy things on this podcast. But to be informed and having the conversation about it, given the amount of blowback that I was likely to get, took too much time. Like I, like I, I'm not kidding when I say that I'm looking at the Anthony, Fa- the um, RFK, uh, Anthony Fauci book on my shelf right now. I bought the materials. I was prepared to try to become an expert especially when I joined rising and Kim was bringing the stuff up all the time. And I was like, well, I got to figure out what's real and what's not because otherwise I, you know, I'm not gonna be able to participate in this conversation with her because she's obviously very much invested and deep in this space. Right. Um, but it just, it, the time that it required, like I, I, to, you know, I, I, I think that frankly, Kim was kind of right with uh, why she left the show. And so, you know, I agree with her on that. But there was a part of me that was like a little relieved to not have to study up on the, all this COVID stuff all the time. Because <laughs> she wasn't going to be there. No, you I, know. I get it. You know, I I'm just, it. like, I have to say, I wish she were, you know, I think the show, she brought some, you know, interesting points to the show. And I'm not saying that I want that to have happened to her. But, you know, I'm just making this joke because the, yeah. it is true that my, how much I had to work to come to work every day diminished a lot when right. Kim left because I didn't have to try to well, get myself but I have a question boned up. Then. Like, yeah, go ahead. I got a question then. Like, like, were you, how much of it was fear of backlash? Cause it was intense. Like last year, mm-hmm. to late 2020, mm-hmm. it was intense. And I don't, I understand why people didn't want to wade into it without being super read up. Like I totally understand that, but just having the discussions, like you don't have to, have a like a point of view but like could we why can't we discuss corporate capture in the fda why can't we mm-hmm. discuss why scott gottlieb is the former fda commissioner like dr prasad said mm-hmm. but like we've known this for years like i knew this last year and i'm telling people and it's like nobody wants to i'm not talking about it from an anti-vax perspective i'm just mm-hmm. talking about like let's have conversations like okay 
And like, I'm sorry when people talk about, I disagree when you were saying about how, yeah, there's corporate interest that want to open up. There was corporate interest that wanted us to lock down. You think Jeff Bezos didn't want us to lock down? You think Walmart didn't lobby to lock down? Like, there's a lot of that on both sides. Mm. And they, they, like, we had the largest wealth transfer in the history of humankind during Mm -hmm. lockdowns. Like, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of it on both sides. But like, my question to you is, the fact that it took you this long to have these conversations, what was it? Was it fear? Like, I really genuinely want to know because I really, I actually genuinely respect your work, which is why I'm asking you this. Like, why did it take so long yeah, I mean, to have these it, conversations? It was the time it was going to take to do it right. And to be honest, I still feel like but I not about wasn't really. I'm, I'm just talking about opening it up, like, like asking questions. I'm not talking well, about that's... taking a stance. But what this was. And that's what right. the Robbie, that's what the Robbie and Walker episode was. Frankly, I, if people claim I'm taking a stand, I don't even, I'm literally evolving how I feel about this and trying to figure it out right. in the moment. And yet just having a, my first, my first bite of the owl is, well, let's just have two people on opposite sides of this. And because they are more expert, they can poke at each other's arguments and I can just moderate. I don't have to be an expert. Right. I just have two of them. And then people didn't like that. They felt like Robbie wasn't making the arguments they would have liked. Um, you know, so I said, okay, fine. A lot of people recommended bringing Dr. Prasad on after that episode, which is why I had right. Dr. Prasad on. And now people are assuming some take from me because I wanted to hear from the horse's mouth what the arguments are, you know? So there is a responsibility when you're a host and an interviewer to be able to push back in meaningful ways, which I still frankly don't think I'm as able to do as some other folks in this space would be. And I feel a little guilty about that, but I also felt like I couldn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I frankly don't see the time frame on which I'm going to be as prepared as I want to be. So I decided just to go ahead and do it. Like the easiest right. way to become prepared is to just hear from people and then hear the counter arguments. No, I what? agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. I just wanted you to have, like, I wanted these conversations like a year ago, six months ago, eight months ago. I wanted those type of conversations last year, well, like well, where we also, could, where we could, yeah. Sorry, but ahead, a sorry. year ago also then we weren't in the same place as we are today. A year ago, we were just getting the vaccines and a lot of stuff that seems really clear now wasn't clear then. We didn't know, last year, we were all enjoying hot girl summer with with Brian. And we were all out on these streets, largely, (laughs) largely protected from the virus because the first round of vaccines were effective, largely effective against transmission for the first strain. So all of these arguments now, like, I don't know that a year ago I would have been arguing that, okay, school should open. Like, we were finding out what exactly was true about transmission and the relative risk reward here. You know, well, I I'm don't not know- talking about that. Why not? Okay, why not talk about how most of the world or not? Let's even talk Europe. Let's talk our, let's talk Europe. Why not talk about how Europe uh, does, was not recommending the Moderna uh, shots to the under 40 age group. I think that's something we should look at and England as well, or why maybe Scandinavia didn't shut down schools and we did like, let's just have conversations about that where they they doing that in like late 2020. I don't think there's an excuse. There's an excuse not to have those conversations. I'm talking about, um, yeah, well, I'm I'm talking. Yeah. 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 Good. The reason Sorry. the reason I wasn't having those conversations because I honestly wasn't privy to the fact that there was this level of discourse until I joined Rising. 
Like this is not my wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is not at you. I'm I'm really sorry. I'm not saying this at you. I'm just taking like generally. Well, the broader left. Yeah, I, I yeah, think yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I, and it would have been nice to hear, to be honest. You know, the people who yeah. are actually like journalists writing things for a living. I think it would be nice to feel like there were sources that you could really trust to the extent that, that exists anymore, or at least people that you could trust who were having these conversations, and that there were a diversity of opinion. Like I wish I could pick up a Jacobin, and I would have three different Jacobin writers with different takes on this and the same at the intercept or the guardian or, you know, the lever or wherever, because so much of this does get reduced to like an ad hominem and judgments about who it is that's saying it. And it makes it really difficult to figure out what actually one should not believe. Max Blumenthal was one of the first people that I heard making some of these kinds of arguments. And and we know how he's characterized, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and again, I'm not saying whatever. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that I agree with everything. Like, I haven't listened to him enough to be able to say I agree with everything. But, you know, it, it has felt like a slow creep where there are more and more people even willing to have the conversation. And I really, I do want to credit, like, being on Rising forced me to confront a bunch of stuff that just felt, like, too tangled of a web for me to deal with before. You know, I agree with that. And, no, I, and again, I commend you for having the conversations now. I guess my theory of, I have a, I have a few theories. Like, I guess I mentioned one is, uh, the detracting uh, poor people, especially, but also I think the tragedy of COVID and COVID is one of the biggest events in certainly in our lifetimes. It's the biggest event probably in terms of impacting the most people. But I think the tra- one of the tragedies in terms of discussion and narrative is that all skeptical thinking regarding COVID policies was seated to the right. I think that's a shame. I think that um because i was very skeptical um early on but i'm not saying that because oh i'm some smart person no happen to talk to people and start looking at research in terms of i'm not talking about vaccines i'm just talking about non-pharmaceutical interventions um, in terms of their effects like what about how florida all its faults and everybody is you know florida is the mega state or whatever why not talk about how florida has a has a better or very similar age-adjusted death in terms of deaths per 100 as California. And they had vastly different policies. We don't have to go to Scandinavia to discuss lockdowns. We can look in our in this very country. So it's like, I just yeah, wanted those I, discussions to happen. I but mean, I think the problem, yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I do think that some of that Florida data is also, like, that's the problem with data. It's like all over the place. Didn't you say you're a statistic, statistician? Like right now, Florida is leading in monthly deaths. You know, no, like, I agree absolutely. And and, and there but that'll some change of that stuff. next fall. Maybe has maybe its not in the summer. And no, to but, your point about I'm... all the masking, all the masking data, like so there's there's all kinds of other there's the humidity factor and there's what what was happening, what was actual compliance like and. The, the mask exactly. studies, it, it's so frustrating because it's like, I don't want to look at a mask. If you tell me the result of a mask study, I don't really give a shit until you also tell me how you measured compliance with the masking. Right, no, right, right, right. And those, no, well, that's the thing. That's why randomized controlled trials are the best because in real life, people are going to behave as humans in terms of masking. And that's the only way you can actually judge what a mask is because the cdc what they were doing was they were putting out uh their numbers based off number of particles that come through a mask mm-hmm. when somebody's standing still and it's fitted it's like that's not what how co- it's not what we're talking about with COVID. 
and like sure. things like natural immunity but, but also we knew very early on like natural immunity really pissed me off because it's like we knew this early on and we were we were like like let's say let's go to vaccines mandates for example this is like a personal thing for me this is not a data mm. point but it's something to discuss by the way the study you were talking about with vaccines and men under 40 was the thailand study which came out i think about a month ago but mm. there's multiple studies on this that the risk of um, my uh, vaccine induced myocarditis is much greater in vaccines um and th- that's just for men under 40 not for everybody but mm. the, the, the specific study i think you were thinking about was a thailand study i think dr prasad actually did a uh, analysis on it as well so that's probably where you may have seen it but um no i i heard robbie the, talking about it on call um, Rob, okay yeah there you go there's yeah there's studies like that the thailand one's the biggest one like i had a nephew who had covid this is last year and is 19 years old was going had a there was a vaccine mandate for his school and he got myocarditis when even his doctors admitted privately but they were his doctors were afraid to lose their license to write a recommendation but they privately admitted to him you probably don't need this even this is when we knew transmission was not uh, uh, very good with the vaccines in terms of protecting its transmission but he took the shot anyway because he had to otherwise he couldn't go to school mm-hmm. and he got myocarditis and that doesn't mean anything as a data point but I'm just saying like we have data in terms of let's have a discussion around vaccine induced myocarditis for men under 40 why again in Europe why are they are recommending vaccines specific, uh, mRNA vaccines specifically the Moderna for example to men under 40. What does Europe know that we don't know? Like why like those are things I just want people to discuss and I'm glad that you're having discussions now but I've been really pissed off in this country and in Canada as well. It's like all skepticism is the right wing. It's like okay, I didn't know Scandinavia mm-hmm. and England are like fascist right wing countries, but it's like yo, let's just let's just look at the numbers. Let's just have honest discussion about data and like talk about okay, what and my thing is like I, I go back to the poor people when it comes to lockdowns like I was disgusted hearing the rhetoric uh, against unvaccinated people like like Noam, Noam Chomsky saying they should be you know forget forget about feeding them that's on their own and lock them away from society like I think we all got a little mm-hmm. crazy and then and like he did say that by the way I just want to be clear he did say that and I've always respected Noam Chomsky who wouldn't but like he did say that and it's like it's really hurtful to people. Like I know a lot of people aren't vaccinated for a lot of reasons who will come from poor immigrant backgrounds. No, they're not all Trump supporters. And it's like, they have their own reasons, whatever. They didn't get the vaccine, but now you're barring them from society where they where I'm talking last year, where they couldn't go into restaurants and gyms or whatever. And all people were saying was just get the shot, man. And it's like, yo, these are the same people who were delivering you food for two years. And you're just talking to them that way. There's no empathy with 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 these people. And it just, man, I, I was just so frustrated with like our discourse over the last two years. And now it's like, you're a Trump supporter if you're skeptical. And it's like, yeah, I've been talking to right wing people and left wing people and anybody who's willing to have these discussions. But it's like, we don't want to talk about. We don't want to, you know, certain segment of the actually most of the left doesn't want to talk about these things. And it's really sad because it's like. I don't want to hear from these people with any discussion at this point until they reckon with 
the COVID policy. Just admit they were out of touch and didn't realize how policies were affecting a lot of low-income poor. But I'm talking specifically lockdowns and other stuff. So I'm sorry I've been ranting. It's just like no, you're um, you're not ranting. I'm, you're you're reflecting. You know what a lot of people think, and I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you for calling in. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Like, honestly, I love your work. And uh, don't let people, uh, I mean, you don't need me to say that, but it's like, just know that there's a lot of people that appreciate you having these conversations and fuck all the Twitter comments. Do your thing, man. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Keep the faith, man. All right, let's go to Jonathan. Jonathan, I really want to hear from you uh, because you are a healthcare professional. You are an EMT. And I want to know what you make of all of this. Jonathan, is the is the app just being a little buggy? Because I know you know how to unmute yourself. It literally kicked me out of the app when I tried to hit unmute. <laughs> That's okay. We're still here waiting for you. Waiting with bated breath. What's on your mind this evening? Hello, Sister Brianna. That's what I've been waiting <laughs> to say for several episodes. Now, I... It's the, it's the I most beautiful for being... sentence in the English language, as far as I'm concerned, hearing hearing Dr. West call me Sister Brianna. We all love hearing that. Like, I just, I remember when, uh, how delighted he was when Michael Brooks called him Brother Cornell. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I would like, I apologize I was distracted today because like we had that RP live with Michael Hudson. And so immediately afterwards, like I listened to the episode, like, cause normally I skip over COVID, you know, COVID segments on, on the rising, but, uh, you know, I trust that you're always going to have a good conversation and you did, you had a good conversation. And then I go to your Twitter comments. Like I was originally planning on calling the episode, but mm-hmm. like those were crazy. Those reactions were completely unhinged. And that includes, by the way, from like, Josh and Dave, like, you could almost see, like, dilated pupils in the whites of their eyes. Like, that is not, like, even for them, like, normal behavior. Like, something was, like, triggered. This was, like, a serious, like, conditioned emotional response. Yeah, look, I love me some Josh and Dave. Everyone knows that the West Wing thing is my favorite podcast. I was so honored to be invited on the last episode, uh, their last episode of that podcast. And, you know, we recorded that episode, like, I think it was the same day that I released the um the last COVID episode with Robbie and Walker and we ended up having a conversation about it for like the first hour of the last episode of the West Wing thing and so I thought we had kind of you know it was a it was a I was trying to be very gentle because I know how deeply we feel about a lot of these issues and um I think uh Dave has kids in school and you know like I want to respect where he's coming from with this and that he is much more involved in the discussion than I am but it was a little surprising the reaction to me because I like we'd had already had this conversation in a much more civil way on his show on their show so look they're friends and I'm sure we're I'll, I'll reach out to them and we'll work through it but yeah I was a little bit a little bit surprised as well yeah I mean look I mean I've seen this kind of thing before and like in my line of work having been neck deep in this thing from the beginning I didn't have the luxury of kind of indulging in that sort of thing. But I watched it happen from afar. And, like, you could see, uh, you know, like, the the kind of, like, virulent 
ostracism of uh, this is a thing that doesn't map well onto political lines. It just doesn't. Like the reality of it is too nuanced for that. But you could be polarizing in that way and ostracizing to the point where people who had like a small like, look, this doesn't match with what I've seen with my own eyes. There's a concern you need to take into consideration. Like they would get so ostracized, like they would immediately get defensive and back into embracing a lot more extreme views. And now to the point where they hear this, they don't even think rationally. It reminds me of uh, some of those books I read about psychology of, uh, of cults. Mm. And, you know, these these kind of conditioned emotional responses like that are triggered by um, it's the same, like basically feelings of blasphemy when you their beliefs are like they have this reaction where they'll just shut down and are incapable, basically, of rational conversation until the thing like drains out of them. Well, to Vince, and that's what I'm seeing. To, there. to Vince's point, like I do think that part we've all suffered in part by the lack of dialogue in different spaces. And this is, this is part of the reason why when, when the only people who have a certain kind of conversation are, you know, bad faith actors for the most part or a large part, then you can get to a place where it makes sense to have more of a knee jerk reaction to the topic, regardless of who's discussing it. Because history has showed you that there's no such thing as, like, a good faith conversation about X, Y, and Z. And so, like, you know, I don't know. That is that is why – I mean, I understand some of these arguments about platforming and all of stuff. But it does strike me to be weirdly empowering to certain interlocutors – who are bad faith, if they are the only ones who are allowed to have certain discussions. And this is exactly how you get rightward shift. If the only people who are willing to even engage in a certain subject are on the right, and it's a subject that people care about, then where are people going to go to get their news? And also... Well, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, like, that's that's something that I saw, you know, just because in my line of work, I talk to a lot of ordinary people, like people that are not, you know, news junkies, that are not heavily online, uh, you know, just ordinary people in the way they're receiving this information, like for the last two years. And, you know, they they have these like these kind of nuanced takes. They had these uh, this is true, but that's also true. And I don't you know, like even during lockdowns, like they were telling these people, oh, you have to stay locked down. You have to do all this stuff. And, you know, a lot of these people were like, OK, but pay rent how am i going to eat how am i going to you know stay in my apartment and uh you know these like there were no answers to these questions and people who brought them up were were ostracized and they were oh you're a trumpy you're a you know these kinds of things if gaslight people in that way they will immediately become defensive and they will not want to hear any rational conversation and it becomes a vicious cycle where people just, you know, they don't listen to each other and they can't have reasonable conversations like the one you had where some of the stuff this guy said was bilge. Some of the stuff he said was on point, including the stuff about, you know, and these were criticisms I heard from ordinary people. The suspicion of the pharmaceutical companies, of the, you know, the whole situation, like when they, when people had heard about the patent situation and basically Bill Gates lobbying the U.S. government and getting what he wanted, uh, you know, that these patents weren't shared with countries in the third world that had pharmaceutical manufacturing capacity. So even if we had zero COVID, this disease would still be incubating all over the global south 
and it would make its way here anyway. So like this kind of, of stuff, like people see that kind of hypocrisy and, you know, they push back on it and, you know, they get driven, uh, you know, in many cases, rightward by the reaction they're getting exactly like the one in your comments. And, you know, I don't think these people are doing it on purpose, but I think they don't they don't see themselves. They have this this inability to really process like how other people see that kind of hysterical reaction. Yeah. It, yeah. And I mean, you, you've put out very well. I'm curious. I'm curious what you found to be, um, bilge <laughs> most objectionable about, uh, what, um, Dr. Prasad said. I mean, there were just a lot of things that he brought up that had very flimsy arguments, which you rightly, you know, push back on and he didn't have good answers for, um, you know, just, you know, a bunch of little things. Some of the things you mentioned in this call in even, um, you know, some of the, the flippant way that he dismissed. Um, there was the mice was. thing it, that struck me. Oh yeah. And then the mice thing, he, which he said he was for and against because it was good enough, but it wasn't good enough. That kind of stuff was like, I'm just like, come on, dude. Yeah. But some of the stuff he said was on point. He was bringing up legitimate criticisms and, you know, basically you push back on what was flimsy and, you know, he appeared to be based on what I'm hearing other people say about him. I don't know much of guy, but based on what I'm hearing other people say about him, he was evidently on his best behavior because he knew what to expect coming there and did not say evidently the stuff that people are complaining that he said elsewhere. So it was a good conversation. It was a productive conversation. I think people who listen to it can tell what has a flimsy argument versus, uh, you know, what's a strong argument that resonates with them. And I think, like I said, the suspicion of, you know, because they have those quarterly meetings with Pfizer and Moderna where they are gleefully, uh, you know, bragging about how they're, they're basically going to be, you know, having like, uh, you know, multiple vaccines per year for, you know, the next decade, and they're going to make a fortune off of it. That, I mean, that's a thing. Like, and, you know, the fact of the matter is you're also seeing these vaccines aren't working that well anymore. And nobody really seems to care. And like, these are issues that people notice. And when they bring up, they get ostracized and they, they need to be discussed. Like if you're going to have like any kind of, of, of public consensus on how to deal with this thing moving forward, you've got to be able to have these kinds of conversations. And if we're actually going to, you know, uh, come together a little better as a country and start trying to understand that, you know, people that disagree with us are, are human beings and, you know, create something better in the future, like these conversations have to be had. And, you know, the tricky part is how are you going to reach those people that are, you know, reacting with the wide eyes and the dilated pupils. Like that's, that's the tricky part. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to manage it, but I really would love to have a conversation with um, Josh and Dave with Walter, who I think is willing. He's been very um, generous in the DMS today. I haven't had a chance to write him back because uh, I've been author. Um, but I really hope to get some of these people in conversation. Ideally, I would love to get them in conversation with, someone like Dr. Prasad or Max Blumenthal or, you know, someone who's on the other kind of end of the spectrum. Like, and Max is a good example of like the left is not in agreement on this. And Max very much did bring a left perspective because when he was talking about like in fairness to Walker, he has gotten much better, 
but he was for a while advocating like zero COVID type policies in a way like uh, where it was like uh, closing the barn door after the horses are on. And, you know, what Max was pushing back on was, you know, lockdowns in a lot of these, you know, global South countries that were literally causing people to starve to death. And, uh, you know, that these are people that can't afford to feed themselves and the government isn't providing them with food and sustenance and so on and so forth. And, you know, you're, this is not a viable solution. And he did come at it from a left perspective. This was not some, you know, right wing horse paced, uh, you know, type thing. And, you know, frankly, like Jimmy Dores and, and, you know, indulged in some ridiculous stuff. But, uh, you know, they tried to lump them in together. Um, and, you know, it's it's just not like there's a lot more nuance to it than that. And you have to pay attention to what people say and not try to, you know, lump them in these categories and be like, this is an other. And we don't have to listen to these people because they're all bad guys. And if we hear what they say, it'll be ear pollution. And we're all going to suddenly start wearing MAGA hats. Like, that's not that's not how it works. And these people are so afraid of, you know, like, even if you look at the words some of these people were choosing, like, they are just terrified that somebody is going to hear what this guy says and suddenly, you know, put on a COVID denialist MAGA hat. And... Yeah, look, it, 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 yeah. it takes a certain type. I was thinking about as we were talking, reflecting on how, like, I'm supposed to go on Ben Shapiro and I haven't... I need to get back to their scheduler, but how I've been apprehensive about it, because unlike some people who I disagree with, Ben Shapiro isn't stupid and he's a good talker and a good debater. And part of my concern is like, should I go on there? Cause you know, the onus is on me to do a good job and to not screw up and make it look like he's right about stuff. And I was reflecting on how it is genuinely scary to engage with people, even when you really believe that you're right. And I was thinking about how it's even scarier when you're talking about stuff that you don't have fully formed ideas on yet. And I was thinking about how much I enjoy some of the episodes with people who I feel safe enough with to kind of work through sticky things like that episode with Thomas Chatterson Williams about some of that race stuff and, you know, what it means for him to have biracial children some of the stuff that I know is very stigmatizing, but you know, is really interesting to me, but I also don't know fully how I feel yet and how it rare it is to find gracious partners like that to discourse with. All that is to say, I really do hope that this is a moment where, because we are friendly with so many of these people and we're within our own left community, that we can have those kind of gracious conversations about this particular subject as well. And I will be reaching out to some of the folks, um, you know, in the in the thread. Yeah, they, uh, you know, the I think the, you know, again, the, the thing about these kinds of condition responses, they're very temporary. So, you know, within a couple of days, I think, you know, some of this stuff will have slid out of people's brains and they'll have calmed down a little. And, you know, for instance, like even Josh and Dave, I'm sure if you talk to them in a couple of days, like they'll be a lot more reasonable and, and you know, willing to talk and have a conversation with whoever you set up. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but the uh, the thing I was going to say about Jim Zogby to sum it all up is basically that. It, the whole time I was thinking it's time for another Ralph Nader episode because he was dealing with this kind of mindset for yeah you know, basically since the 1970s and he's been trying to you know beg Democrats to power and you know been coming against that kind of pushback and you know frankly in the 90s you know the Republicans finally decided hey Newt Gingrich said I'm going to take that advice I'm going to wield power in that way and we see what's happened ever since. So I, I would really love to hear from uh, Ralph Nader 
especially given that there's been a lot of books coming out recently in the last five years or so that have basically been using him as a punching bag, trying to blame him for the fall of the New Deal order in the 70s. And I'm like, I'm, they're all flimsy arguments. And the best one was called Public Citizen. I think it was from like 2019. And, you know, basically you could almost hear the shrillness in their voice, but he attacked Democrats. <laughs> and I'm like looking at his arguments and I'm like, but where's the lie? Like, basically, this guy knows House and Senate procedure better than anybody. OK, and he told you how to wield power, how to how to turn the screws on these people and make them squeal till they say, oh, yeah. OK. And like he told you to do it. And they're like, no, but that's bad decorum. No, that wouldn't be norms and blah. We can't do that. And then Newt Gingrich said, hell with it. I'll do it. Yeah. And like, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, what do you think now? Like, would he reassess his strategy for for getting people to, to see things his way or, you know, I don't know, just a retrospective on that stuff. And, and frankly, just a little a little, you know, calling a BS because like those arguments were terrible. Yeah, he's a treasure. And uh, I loved, loved, loved talking to him. I loved that episode. And you're right. It's well overdue getting him back. He's a little tricky because, you know, he won't go on camera. And last time, you know, I, it was it was me talking to a still picture, a very handsome picture of him from some years back. <laughs> um, but let me let me reach out again and, and uh, see what I can do on that front. And I always appreciate. I listen to it audio anyway. Yeah, fair enough. And I apologize to everybody for the audio quality on uh, today's episode. My I had like a technical issue and my mic wasn't working, so I had to make do with like recording on my phone. Uh, but I think I've got it resolved, so it won't be like that going forward. But I appreciate all of your patience. And thank you so much for calling in, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. We are at the over a three-hour mark, so I'm going to let Allende uh, be the last caller. I see the 15 of you in line. I'm, like, memorizing who it is. It's a lot of return folks, so I don't feel super bad, although Morgan seems kind of new. Bruce seems kind of new. Marcel seems kind of new. Brad seems new. And I like to get to new people, so I'm going to, I'm, like, I'm like memorizing those names and I'm going to try to prioritize you next time. If you call in, I'll hop around and try to get to you in the line, but thank you all for your patience. I know that your time is precious too. I end bring us home. Can you unmute yourself? My friend. I end summer fun. Oh, why am I seeing an Old Navy advertisement? All right, Allende. We tried. I gave it a Girl Scout try. Everybody can see that I tried. No one can accuse me of not having tried. I see your hand reaching out to the heaven so aspirationally. It makes me want to aspire for you to figure out how to unmute your phone <laughs> and bring us home this evening. Because, boy, oh, boy, I can hear you kicking yourself somewhere saying, oh, God damn it, I got kicked out of the app. I'm struggling to open it back up. Is Brianna going to forsake me or is she going to stay true? Stay true to the final sequence of events as she laid them out one minute ago when she started talking into the void. Allende, she said, Allende, she called out with purpose and certainty. Allende will be the last caller tonight. She said it, but will Allende make a liar out of me? Hmm. Time will tell, but time is growing short. Only a few more seconds of patience left. Allende. 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 It's not on the cards for us tonight. 
Carolina boy, bring us home. Hey, Bree, can you hear me? I can hear you. What's on your mind this evening? Awesome. Uh, I just want to say real quick, uh, Mondays are particularly long for me in the mornings just because uh, I'm I'm always dying to see you on Rise and, and we end up being stuck with Batya's three boneheaded takes that I just want make me want to rip my hair out. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you get back on uh, tomorrow. But, um, you know, w- one thing that I was thinking about in, in the process of hearing this conversation around COVID and um, a lot of the rights uh, efforts to minimize the significance of it is making me think, um, Are do you feel like the right is sort of starting to overplay their hand into essentially trying to cast anything that they don't like as being uh, as being woke or as being um, you know as, as being woke leftist nonsense or whatever which I've seen them apply to COVID mm-hmm. stuff you know uh, masking is woke I, I saw there was some uh, I don't know he's one of these uh, dumb right-wing morons that that's on Tucker Carlson he like tweeted about how he was uh, here in Asheville which is a great city up here in the mountains in our states but you know it's a it's a really unique city similar to like Austin, Texas and he was like oh my all these people here are wearing masks what what has happened this this city is like more woke than Manhattan or whatever and so you know i, I was noticing like if they're going to apply wokeness to that and they tried doing it to like climate change they tried um saying now the little mermaid is woke because they have a a, a black actress mm-hmm. as it I'm starting to think that they're getting to the point where they're overplaying mm-hmm. their hand a lot of ways that the left has kind of a lot, had has overplayed their hand calling a lot of things mm-hmm. racist and that they couldn't prove. And I'm wondering, do you think that'll backfire on them? That is an interesting question. And I think it is possible. Um, so on one hand, you could say that well, they've won the wokeness war because even liberals and leftists who understand the original meaning of the word woke and like a lot of the underlying politics are using it as a derisive term. Okay. But on the other side, I think you're right. Like I noticed that on rising, we keep having these segments about woke wars and increasingly Robbie is actually in agreement with me. Like Robbie also thinks it's stupid to be mad at the little mermaid's skin color. She's a fish. And Robbie also thinks it's stupid. What were you talking about? Oh, all of the racial casting in Lord of the Rings and uh, Game of Thrones. He thought um, hand wringing was stupid. And you know, it's not. It's not everything, right? Like, I do notice that the word woke gets thrown a lot around on Mondays when I'm not around. <laughs> when oh, I am oh. around, you know, it does feel like, you know, you know, I, I, I'm. There's. It's just Robbie's not even really trying to make the case and ally with a bunch of folks like this. And he's been saying this on Rising for a while that. Republicans made a stake with some of these MAGA people and they might really crash and burn in midterms were supposed to be sailing high because they put, you know, they didn't try to derail the kind of MAGA aspect of the party. And obviously the Democrats feel the same way with their choice to boost these MAGA candidates and like pay for ads for them because they think that they're easier to beat as well. So I do think that there's a strong argument for that. Now I do think that the right is nimble and what was Christopher Rufo was just somewhere saying, you know, announcing the new strategy 
And so like, I forget what it was or what he said, but they will always reinvent themselves and they will, they can find new words to mean the same thing. If we're, if the word woke mm-hmm. wears out. Yeah. And it's funny because, um, like even the term itself, it's been around for a long time, but you know, all, all these boomer right-wingers heard it for the first time, like in the wake of the, um, the social justice protests of, of 2020. And then they've just completely it and demonized it, something they're effective at, at, at doing. But uh, I think that they are really reaching a point where they're overplaying their hand. I mean, they, especially like the, the little mermaid example, I think is just, one where they're really just showing their cars that, that they just want to be racist that, you know, that, that, you know, that they're not able to, um, because, you know, typically they would say that whoever this, this person, because they're, you know, a person of color or a woman, they're, um, they, they, they say that's the only reason that they're selected. And then they try to point to them not being qualified for whatever the reason, but they're not even doing that. Mm-hmm. They're just saying just because, this is a, a woman of color. She's not qualified. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're trying to say that, um, trying to say that she is qualified is what like, I, I just feel like that's just such an, like such obvious, like bad mental gymnastics that it's going to have to, um, that, that more people will kind of, you know, just get tired of them trying to, you know, demonize things that way. And, because um, mm-hmm. the human and, being and has never looked wrong. more like Ariel. What the, what's so funny about this particular instance is that little Chloe, uh, Halle Bailey, is just about the cutest little thing you ever saw. <laughs> Who has mm-hmm. these big old cartoon yeah. eyes and this pert little Disney face that she literally looks like a Disney princess. <laughs> they gave her red hair in the movie. I don't know what else you want from them. And it has a voice of a MFing angel. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if there, I don't know what other qualification is there, there to be a Disney princess other than being adorable with a great voice. Kirsten, Kirsten, um, what's her face who played, uh, the, the, the voice in, um, let it go. Um, who's married to Dax Shepard. How do I remember her husband's name and not her name? I don't, Kristen, I don't know. Kristen, whatever from the good place. She's great. Veronica Mars, okay. whatever. We all know who I'm talking about. Um, she's another one that like has big Disney princess energy, petite little thing with big old eyes and a great voice. Like that's literally what we're going for here. And so, like, they, they cannot yeah. qualifications. It's like a no-brainer slam dunk for Halle Bailey. I mean, we'll find mm-hmm. out if she can act, but you know, <laughs> other mm-hmm. than that. And oh no, I, I, I yeah, I, I was just gonna say, I, I, I just do feel like there is like a particular hatred for for black women in, in these kind of issues because, um, you know, I was thinking uh, there was a there was an Aladdin remake a few years ago, and they made Will Smith the genie and I, I didn't remember any sort of um any outrage or anything over mm-hmm. that like you know calling it woke or anything like that but i feel like a lot of these right wingers it's like they they want you know their princesses in these disney movies to um it, it, they, they they want them to fit like a certain you know type of whatever it is that they fetishize you know these these young uh blue-eyed uh, white women is, is what they prefer and so um, I, I, it's, it's a greater crime to do that to them than it is to make, you know, to take Robin Williams genie from the original Aladdin and then, uh, use Will Smith, uh, for it in its mm-hmm. place. And, um, and so, you know, I, I just think that, yeah, the, like all, all of this is, is going to like, uh, I just feel like they're going to end up like the boy who cried wolf a lot of ways that the left kind of has with the whole racism thing. And, 
what I see is now every, like, there's any time that somebody, like, tries to lead and posture of how they're so brave because they're against wokeness and, and they use that term and stuff like that. I'm like, you're, you're clearly pandering in a lot of ways that, um, you know, mainstream media or politicians or corporations will try to pander to try to act like they're pro-social justice and like how they have been in the past a few years. So I, I, I really hope that it backfires on them because I just get so annoyed with these conversations. Yeah, I will say, thank, this is a nice like light, light pop culture thing to wrap on, but I had dinner with my mom tonight and she uh, showed me this TikTok and I wish I could find it. But, you know, a lot of folks were saying about the Little Mermaid, imagine if they took a black role and cast it as a white person. And to be really clear, it, it's a fish. Uh, it's a mermaid. So that's not what happened. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, this one woman like put together this amazing TikTok that's like, imagine if, imagine if, and then it's like three minutes of all of these roles of people of color that have been played by white people from like The Last Airbender to that movie where Angelina Jolie put that black woman that was weird um, to the one where, uh, what's her face from La La Land? An easy A, who I actually like a lot. She plays uh, like an Asian, uh, like a, she's supposed to half Asian in that movie where she's in Hawaii with Bradley Cooper. I'm sorry, I can't remember the names of anything, but it's like literally three minutes of movies. Oh, there was that one about the car shark wow. from MIT who in real life was an Asian guy, an Asian American guy, and then they, oh, they cast, um, uh, what's his name from this? Like on and on and on, three minutes where they're just going after movie after movie after movie after movie after movie with historical figures that were real life people being played by white people on top of Catherine Hepburn and Yellowface and like, um, you know, what do you call it? Breakfast and Tiffany's and all of that, that God awful stuff from the middle of the century. But yeah, okay. it's, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. But also I think the really solid point we have to remember here is that uh, it's a fish. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's just, you know, I, yeah, it's just that they've just got this wet blanket term that they just think it's effective to try to demonize anything. They want masks gone, masks are woke. They want um, whatever it is, uh, it's it's woke, you know, whatever they need to change, they, they just use that. And so um, it's just really third grade, uh, third uh, grade brain thinking. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Anyways, yeah. well, Bree, I really appreciate you uh, taking my call, and I really hope to see more of you and less about you. So. <laughs> well, I'll see you guys tomorrow. I gotta go to bed for that very reason, so I can wake up early and try to do some news. But I appreciate you all. I love hearing from you all. Thank you all for waiting and so long in line, and I will try to get to the waiters on Thursday's episode, which should be a real banger with some some hot topics. That's all I'll say. Some real hot topics. I'll see you later in the week. Take care of yourselves and keep the faith. Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot on a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like... I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this. 